Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. Jonathan. And today we're gathered to talk about Persona, Ingmar Bergman's movie from the 60s. That's what we're going to talk about. It's Kevin's pick. Right. He uh, wanted to watch this again. Yes. Because... I just got the Blu-ray from Criterion there you go. the other day, yep. so and, and it's been a while since I had seen it. So and we tend to get more listens on classic movies, yes, and Criterion movies. Criterion. Just look at Barry Lyndon. I know it's our most listened to episode <laughs> yeah. for some reason. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, we'll also be talking about other stuff we watched mm. and what have you. Mm. How are you guys doing? Doing great. All right. How's uh how's life treating you? Decent. <laughs> it's great. I mean, it's not you know amazing five out of five, but uh, if you were to rate your life out of five stars right, right now, now, right now three. Ouch. <laughs> That's fucked. Are you okay? Yeah. I mean, a little bit of a stomach ache, but oh, nothing, bummer. You know, nothing serious, but uh. I have to go four and a half right now. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I mean you got, you got the a kid, kid on got the, the way. kid on the way, got the marriage going yeah. well, got good job, Magic. awesome podcast, Magic the Gathering is back in my life in a big way. Good place yes. to dump your, all your money. Yep. <laughs> exactly right. That's kind of adulthood though, just finding different places to sink all your money. Yep. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. What yeah. what about you, Don? Out of five uh, stars. 1.25. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, three, I guess. I don't know. Uh, ouch. It's going that bad for you? Is three bad? I don't know. Three seems pretty low. Three's like, all right. It could be way better. Yeah. Yeah. How so? I could have a better job. Oh, yeah. And I could have a fuckload more money. Yeah. Yeah. Could be a doctor. Go yeah. back to school. Like, you, have to, you have to, like, look at the ceiling. What's here. stopping you from being a doctor? What's the ceiling? You know what I mean? Yeah, multi-billionaire. Yeah. I don't know. Like, is that a five point? Uh, is that, no, I mean, uh, that's I would, that's unrealistic. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just like to have you is know it? a decent Bitcoin exists. <laughs> yeah, it does. I don't know I, how that's relevant. But <laughs> I've, I've heard of a guy that I know personally who apparently made a lot of money on Bitcoin. Yeah, that's the thing now. But you know, just, he like has a house and a wife and yeah. like three animals at home. So. Drop like thirty thousand dollars into PC hardware. And start mining, and then you're a billionaire like three days later. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know that anybody's become a billionaire <laughs> from Bitcoin, but but uh, probably like one or two. Maybe. But like you know, those are the ones who are like. It seems pretty unstable. Yeah, so. yeah, I don't. Yeah. I don't know that I invest yeah. any money into that. It seems like it no. crash any second, and like it every, does. Nobody every would day have any it money. crashes all the time. Right. Yeah. And then it skyrockets back. Yeah. And you gotta stay up until like four o'clock in the morning or whatever when like, like the Japanese or like you know somewhere else in the world like their markets open up and you gotta follow that. And... You have a pen? Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, I just thought of something when you said Japan. Um, our our listener and friend and former uh, guest host John Ryan is in Kyoto right now. Wow. wow. And so he uh, texted me before he left to respond to our questions last week. So See, a, a trip to Kyoto would bump me up to a four. 
Right. So just the nice. four? Yeah. <laughs> like, if I was in Kyoto right now, I'd probably be at, like, a six out of five. You know? Right, right. <laughs> See, it's just endless, yeah. endless ceilings. Ooh, and, uh, I like this pen. This is very sharp, my friend. Yes, Ooh, indeed. 0.38. Fuck yeah. Yeah. John Ryan. Uh, what did he talk to us about? I got brackage. Correct. Let me remember to talk about that later. So anyway. Um, so that trailer. Oh, yeah. So intro. So our uh, news today will be consisting of one trailer. The first reformed. Uh, trailer from Paul Schrader's new film starring Ethan Hawke and mm. Amanda Seyfried looking like a true return to form for Mr. Schrader. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. It looks very, very interesting. And like seeing uh, Cedric the Entertainer as the uh, preacher <laughs> in there, like <clears throat> I get the feeling it's going to be pretty interesting. Yeah. He looks uh, unusual c- yeah. compared to his other comedic. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like there could be a tinge of comedy still. In his performance. Yeah, I mean. But definitely nothing like, you know, silly or anything. Yeah, yeah. How do you guys feel about the, uh, I don't know if you even noticed, the f- it's, it's shot in like full frame. Uh, if you watch the trailer, it's notice. like, it's cut off huh. on the sides. Hmm. Oh, no. It's I shot didn't. in like golden ratio, I guess, like one three three. Huh. Wow. I didn't know that. It looks good though. And yeah. uh, I like how static the shots are and how like kind of uh, just completely uh, practical the filmmaking seems. It's not mm. like there artsy. are no, there are no interesting shots in it. Artsy, it's artsy. beautiful. Yeah. And uh, the kind of uh, possible supernatural elements there. Yeah. I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. For I sure. like that too. I'm to the point where if it's normal, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I, I'm not even kidding. Like, I don't... yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> Yeah, like a story about a pre. I don't care. Yeah, it's got to be weird. Yeah, I'd l- I'd rather have the weirdest somewhere. weirdness and like not ha- not have those questions answered. Yeah, I'll tell you what I'm getting sick of though. <clears throat> I agree. Uh, for the most part, I won't say that I wouldn't be interested if it were just you know a story about a priest, but um, because only because it's you know it's bullshit or Ethan Hawke, I'll watch anything. But mm. the uh, I really can't stand this. Uh, this kind of slug that they use uh, from critics. It seems like every movie has the same critic saying an otherworldly vision. <laughs> like, I don't know <laughs> what that even means anymore. Like, cause like I'm watching this trailer. I'm like, how is this otherworldly? It just seems like it very much seems like it's taking place in the real world. Yeah. Except for that one shot of levitation. The script is from another dimension. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, like... <laughs> clearly I'm missing something in this trailer. If it's yeah. supposed to be otherworldly, but, um, it's like you know like we've talked about with all the like every science fiction movie now is the best sci-fi since the one that came right, out last right. week sci-fi needs to die it needs to go away yeah or it's, or it needs so to go like now it needs to go like stalker where it's like you know no, there's science fiction elements <laughs> but it's not integral yeah. necessarily to the I story i think that claire denise film this year high life with robert pattinson is going to bring it all back Full circle. Okay. I'm hoping. Uh, having never seen anything that she's directed. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, Pattinson Dune, sci fi, I'm in. Dune is right. being remade. It's over. Is like, that it's, official? Apparently. Yeah, it's official. It's, official. God, no. it's his next project, they say. But who knows? I mean, I think uh, they said uh, Blade Runner was his next project then, and he came out with uh, Arrival in between, so. Okay. Who fucking? He, I just hate, I hate the fact that Denny Villeneuve is completely like he's a sci fi director now. Yeah, he's like his, the sci-fi director. His best film is 
Sicario and it's not sci-fi. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. Blade Runner was okay. I just like Dune, man. That's like, that's next level. Yeah. I don't know. And that's scary. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I feel like it's, you know, if it's not like totally like overwhelmed with like the ecological message, it's probably just going to be a snooze fest with probably some. I'm into that though. I want it to just be political and just fucking just <laughs> ecological. No action. They just I no want it action. to be just debates and shit. Like no, I, right. I don't I'm agree that. with that. I think there should be action because <laughs> yeah. there's action in the book. But I, I, I think that personally, what I want to see is a complete abandonment of any allegory. Yeah. So like, and I know that there won't they won't do that. So like, I think that they're going to emphasize some of the uh, metaphors in the text. You know, mm-hmm. the yeah. oil crisis and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's a huge mistake. And what's also horrific about that is, uh, God forbid, they recasting. Put... <laughs> no, God forbid they use any like current events. Oh, as... they're going to. That is. They're going to make the, they are the, yeah. the, awful. Uh, they're going to make the fat emperor guy Trump. He's gonna look like Trump. Like yeah, he's, you know they're gonna, have, you know they're gonna do that. They're, I, they it's have. done. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's done. You could just hear the nerds in the office, like the writers' room, being like, "That's so smart! Oh my god, that's ingenious! That's such good satire!" Yeah, it's gonna be brutal, and it's gonna be a PG thirteen. It's gonna star. Uh, it'll be R. No, I think, it won't. I think it'll be R. No, it won't. I think it'll be R. Uh, if it's uh, okay. R, it'll probably be like the softest R imaginable. Our first film yak bet official. Let's do it. I will bet you any money that this thing is not being rated R. <laughs> I'm not going to bet you money, but I I, I think it's I'll bet be you R. a booster pack. Okay. From any set. No, I'm just kidding. Whatever booster <laughs> pack is is current then. Okay, that's done. <laughs> so you say the, it will be rated R. It will not be rated R. I say it'll definitely be PG-13. You're uh, probably right, but I I hope it's R. I mean, I hope it's R yeah, too. Yeah. I don't honestly. I don't know. How, I don't know how much I really care because look at Blade Runner was R and it still sucked. So I, I don't. Like, I don't know how the rating yeah. even fucking matters anymore. Like, yeah, if the movie's yeah. trash, it's trash. You can't yeah. fix it by having blood and tits in it. I mean, what happened to yeah. Refn doing it? I thought he was like really interested in. No, Refn's doing uh, the Incal. Oh mm, boy, which is even more exciting. I think. I think that's the more more exciting of the two projects if he does it. I just want a proper Dune movie. Like, a really yeah. just, just okay, this is it. It's good. I don't even know who you'd get to do it. I mean, Ruffin would be a good choice, I guess, but, like, yeah, I mean, who else? Like, I don't even know who else would be a good option for that. Like, I don't think... I think Villeneuve... If, if you'd have said he's making Dune after he made Sicario, I'd have been like, he's a great choice. But mm. he, now, he, now he's shown that he, mm. he does this very, like, generic kind of... I don't know, like fake art sci-fi shit that he makes. And it's just not mm-hmm. that interesting to me. So I, I don't know who would be. Like, I've never said choice. this about anything, but like I, I, it, it feels soulless. His movies, like they just, they just feel like sterile and just like, except Sicario. I don't know that. that no, I, I, I actually, like, I actually would say Sicario feels sterile and soulless also, but I think that's what works about it. So yeah, it's a yeah. nihilistic film. Yeah. It's but like Blade hopeless. Runner was just like bleach. Like it was just yeah. like, that's true. Yeah. I don't know, man. It, it had just, no personality. It, yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. And part of it is because you get somebody interesting in like Ryan Gosling and you make him into this like personalityless robot, you and, know, and, and he's, he's, yeah. it's just yeah. not interesting and to watch. D- like Dune is set so far in the future that it's like, 
I, like, I don't think our, his idea of, of the future is going to work at all. Like sterile, like, you know, uh, dystopian type. I don't know. It's not going to work. Yeah. I don't know what it would look like. Yeah. I mean, especially if they're going to be like, you know, dealing also with like desert tribes and um, hopefully they'll actually, you know, include knife fighting. Yeah, I know, right? And, That's such uh, an integral part of the book, and it's like... They're yeah. definitely going to bring back the sound guns. <laughs> no. Course, of course they will. No. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, I mean... <laughs> like the... Like, I mean, if they wanted if they wanted someone, like, um, in that same vein as far as, like, a, you know director that they could quote unquote trust for the movie to like appeal to a certain audience but also make money i mean probably nolan um but even then terrify me i mean well well i'm like i'm hard pressed to like think of anybody else besides reffin uh who would really do it justice nancy myers take a shot at it you know what'd she do what women want and uh (laughs) I, I actually, I, it's going to sound dumb, but like, I, I feel like Lynch is the perfect person to do it again, but it would be ridiculous, but like, he's never going to do that. But like a, a Lynch with no, like no budget limit uh, and like doing all the sets himself and shit, you know, just like in, you know, he's so old now. But, no, I mean, yeah, it would I be mean, great, but that's like, a, that's, this, that's like the, beyond a pipe dream. That's some like of an, the sets yeah. in the original movie are just fucking mind blowing. They're so yeah. good. I, I, I always say like the first hour of that movie is like a fucking five out of five easily and then it's just like it just tanks uh, and i think it's i'm just, trying to think of know. who else like I, I can't even think of like great like when we had that uh feedback question about great sci-fi directors i feel like they're all dead yeah i mean i mean like it's kubrick to do it or something or or tarkovsky but they're like they're dead like well who is who is the great there's no great sci-fi director anymore i mean the closest thing i can think of it to like someone who's like got a real like grasp of it or who did at some point in his career would be like ridley scott and yeah, I don't, I don't he, know he was that... going to do it before, um, before, uh, he ended up doing Blade Runner, but like his, uh, brother died and mm, then yeah. he like got depressed for a while and, and he was out of there and it ended up going to David Lynch. But I mean, I would say like that Ridley Scott, the one who gave us aliens and Blade Runner and the duelists, that Ridley Scott could do an amazing Dune. Absolutely. But, well, I think he could have done, I think had he taken Dune pre Lynch Dune mm. and done it instead of Lynch, I think it would be a much different yeah. and better film for sure. And uh very much like, you know, something interesting. And obviously, I mean, you know, the cliche answer would, you know, Jodorowsky his his version which as much of a clusterfuck as it seemed like it might have become, it would have definitely been interesting to look oh, at. Oh yeah. Yeah. So James Cameron? I, I mean, hey, you know, fuck Avatar. Shit, man. I'll, I'll, he can do it. Like, if, it, if they let him do it, I'd be much more excited. Like, take, that yeah, av- yeah. take that Avatar budget, dude. Yeah. Oh, for Avatar, sure. Yeah. Avatar CG. Like $400 million. To- <laughs> yeah. Because like, that's the thing. It's like you want, like, the sandworms to look fucking good. And, and yeah. He's got the CG. Right. Know. Yeah. No, I'm with you there. I mean, James Cameron would definitely be top one of the top of my, on my list. Yeah. If I was to pick one, but you know, knowing them, it's like if Villeneuve wasn't going to do it, I don't know what what uh, is it Warner Brothers? I don't even know who's who's putting it Me together. Neither. But it, like, depending sure. on the studio that's putting it together, you know, they'll they would just hire like if it wasn't Villeneuve, you know, they just hire like 
some fucking you know indie jobber like Colin Trevorrow or something like they do with Jurassic World or yeah, Fantastic yeah. Four or whatever. You just hire some indie rom com director and give them a hundred and fifty million dollar budget and let them try take their shot at I making wonder, a big yeah. blockbuster. I wonder how much of this is Villeneuve like pushing for this movie though, because it's it's got to be like the the no no script, you know, like nobody does this. It's failed. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't. I mean. You mean like the no no story? Is that yeah, it's like, like, I don't it's know how grand, how much grandiose. of a, um, like I don't know what the script is like or who's even writing it. You know, mm. yeah. It's like a mainstream movie, it's not. It's not really a good idea. He yeah. says Villeneuve <laughs> says his Dune will be Star Wars for adults. Jesus Christ! He's planning at least two Dune films. I, I genuinely don't know what that means. He also what says does that mean? he also says another art house studio epic is not a good idea. Referring to um, Blade Runner 2049 as a studio art house epic. Okay. He apparently turned down James Bond to direct it. I genuinely don't know, understand what art house has anything to do with that movie. But, uh. Mm. I mean, on a surface level, I guess it's like because it's slow and really long. <laughs> I don't know. I suppose. Uh. Just get Peter Jackson to do it. Peter we'll get three. Jackson. We'll get three. We'll get three films. Guillermo and... del Toro. Actually, he wouldn't yeah. be a bad idea at all because he does the practical effects and everything. That'd be yeah. That, that's the thing. It has to have that element. It has to yeah. have the intricate, like just yeah, handmade like feel to it. Yeah, I could totally see Guillermo taking a shot of that, or even like, I hate to say this, but like pre Disney early '90s Tim Burton, let him have a shot at that it. That would be know? pretty insane. Yeah. yeah, like if he had made it in like 1991, you know. <laughs> like, yeah. But uh, you know, he obviously now he's just completely like sanitized in Disney yeah. and CG. So, and um, didn't didn't you say that uh, like like Carl Urban said that Alex Garland basically directed Dread? That's what he claims. Yeah, if that Alex Garland, <laughs> you know, if he could get his hands, he wouldn't on though Dune. because yeah, he would. Yeah, he yeah, direct yeah. it like he's directed his last two films, and they'd be these like like yeah, John was saying yeah. about um, Denny Villeneuve, this sterile kind of. You know, yeah. he's the next soulless. level of, of soulless. Yeah. Stuff. Like, he's yeah. like next level soulless. Yeah, because like, yeah, because there were there were more things to like in 2049 than there were in Annihilation. So. I completely agree with that. Yeah, at least you had the cool the cool fight at the end in the car with the water. That was cool. Yeah, and the chick was good. Mm-hmm. And that when he re- was saying uh, the pale fire lines to like. Uh, sink him back up or whatever the fuck that was about. That was kind of neat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. Well, Mm. uh, that's neither here nor there. I'm sure that's years away regardless of what happens with it. And they'll probably fall apart before they even get to the filming. So, uh, so. (laughs) let's move on to what we watched. Um, who wants to start? I have one. You have one. Kevin, how many you got, man? Uh, let's see. Cause I've got one, two, three, Four, five, six. Jeez. I also have what? six. Really? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll start since I haven't started in a long time. Sure. I'm going to go take a nap. I watched... Uh, <laughs> such an asshole. I watched uh, a movie called As You Are from last year or the year before. Stars Owen Campbell, who was in Super Dark Times, which is uh, one of the reasons I wanted to see it. And it's another... It's very much like Super Dark Times in that it's another one of these uh, straight-to-VOD uh indie artsy movies set in the 90s again 
in the mid nineties. I gotta stop. If you can believe it. Gotta stop. <laughs> but this one is um a real train wreck of a piece of shit of a movie. Uh <laughs> compare especially compared to Super Dark Times, like um this it's about this kid who's like a closeted homosexual who makes friends with his new stepbrother and he's like sexually attracted to him and they are like sort of into each other but they're also into this black girl that they know so they're like taking turns dating her also and then uh in like the middle of the movie out of nowhere like Kurt Cobain dies and it's like this big scene oh, where they God. have this breakdown and like okay. cry about it and stuff and it's just so bad and it <laughs> made, it made me think uh, immediately of this movie called Highway which I also rewatched um in which it's set in 94 also and Kurt Cobain also dies in it and it affects the characters in that film also but I'll talk about that later. Anyway, uh, as you are is just a real. It just it really didn't work on any level for mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. and it tried really hard, and it was kind of embarrassing at parts. And there's a lot of like masturbatory camera work and like single take shots that were just completely unnecessary and uh, uh, slow mo. And did it kind of push the '90s stuff in your face? Not really. I mean, I, really? I didn't know. I thought I was like, I was like, is this movie like a period piece? Because I didn't see anybody on their phones. It's like always the first thing I think about. It's yeah. Like, well, I didn't see anybody on their smartphones, so clearly it's yeah. some kind of like mm. period thing. And he had like a record player in his room, but I was like, well, you know, people have record players now. Like, I have a record player. You know, it's just like not that uncommon. Yeah. But uh, yeah, mid about midway through, like I said, they're listening to the radio and. Of course, of course, they're not listening to Nirvana because nobody can have Nirvana songs in their movies. So it's like they're listening to some, you know, generic like Seattle grungy type song <laughs> that probably costs, you know, 15 bucks to have in their movie. <laughs> and uh, on the radio, they're like, Kurt Cobain has committed suicide. And then he starts like freaking out and crying and stuff. And it's like, I don't know. It's just it's such a weird. It just feels like really cheap, uh, like a really cheap way to get at some kind of emotion and like some kind of character building to say, Mm. you know who this kid is now because he was super affected by Kurt Cobain's suicide. Yeah. Like that's the kind of kid he is. And it's, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest it, as much as it didn't work in this movie, it works even less in highway and it's actually a lot more offensive in highway. But this movie was just absolute trash. And I gave it 1.5. Ouch. Yeah. That, that sounds really like, um, you know, someone who like kind of has a memory of the nineties, mm-hmm. but doesn't really remember him that well. So it's like, Oh, what would a nineties person, you know, be upset about? Oh, Kurt Cobain dying. Yeah. It really comes out of nowhere too. It's like, you, they don't talk about Nirvana or anything. Like they talk about music for like a split second, right? When they first meet and they're, t- they're like, Oh, you like, uh, I can't even remember what band it is. It's like, it's just like these really generic, like punk bands that, you know, it's like these big, you know, like the, the big names that like, you would think, you know what like I mean? Ramones, like, oh, you like, yeah, exactly. Oh, you like dead Kennedys. Oh, you like Minutemen. Oh, cool. You know? And it's well, like, Minutemen. Let's, let's I, I'm not saying Minutemen aren't good. <laughs> Nirvana is good. I'm just saying like, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I guess there's I such you. like cliche things to so you guys like the sex pistols. Yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. oh, sweet. You like grunge music. Yeah, I have a flannel shirt, too. It's like it's just fucking stupid. <laughs> Do they say no. Grunge? OK, but um, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. They don't even talk about but they don't even talk about grunge music. It's like not that I mean, not that I mean, it would be silly if they were like, I like grunge music. It would be stupid. Uh. But it's like it's just so goofy and it like comes out of nowhere. The yeah. fact that it's like you also, you're if this affected by Kurt Cobain, like who is Kurt Cobain to you? Like you never mentioned Nirvana or mm. Kurt Cobain before. It'd be one thing if he had like a big Kurt Cobain poster in his room or something, but it's like there's nothing like that. Or he's like playing the songs in his room, yeah, or, or something, something like yeah, that, yeah. yeah. 
I don't know. It's just very. It was just like it just felt very cheap. Like I said, just like a really easy way to say this is how this is how we're going to continue to build their characters and build the bonds between yeah, these that's characters. Awful. That's just yeah. Lazy. That we're just going to have yeah Kirkland really suicide happen. So I don't know. Like I said, yeah. it's just a real piece of shit. And actually, uh, incidentally, I don't know if you remember this, but we were having dinner one night. Uh, you and Allison and me and Nicole and Nicole was talking about this trailer that she had seen with this guy's walking in the field and she was asking me what it was and I couldn't remember and she was getting really mad about it. I don't no. know if you remember. Well, anyway, this was that movie. We saw the trailer. Oh. No, no. We saw this trailer. Like, we were looking through my... Like, we were on the wish list for my account on iTunes <laughs> where we're normally on her account. Oh. And I saw... I was like, I was like what is this movie? As I've you done are. that several times. And I clicked on the trailer and she's like, this is that fucking movie. I was like... <laughs> we use her... But you, I, we use uh, my wife's Netflix all the time and I'll, like, save stuff on mine. Yeah. And then, yeah, yeah completely forget about it for, exactly. like, two years. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so that's what happens. So that's why we watch this, so... Uh. But a uh, huge mistake. It was terrible. Bummer. Hmm. So, oh, I'm sorry. Real quick, I'm sorry. Real quick, huh? I will say though uh, that Owen Campbell is good in it. Like hmm. he's, uh, it's some of the stuff that he has to do in it is like kind of ridiculous, and uh, but it's like, I don't know. It's it's a good, it's a fine performance from him. He's who, not bad in it at all. He's definitely the best person in it. Who was he in Super Dark? He was the main kid, not not the crazy, not kid, the killer, but the main okay. kid. Hmm. Cool. That's it. No, I literally I have one. All right. <laughs> so I wa- I rewatched Snatch after not having seen it for a long time, and mm. I love this movie. Childhood classic. Yeah, I laughed so much, and is Brad Pitt still good? Yeah, he's. I mean, you like Dax? Yeah, Dax. You like mm. Dax? <laughs> for me, ma. I haven't. Seen not this for me. It's for me, ma. Fifteen years. Yeah. Check it out again. Yeah. You watched it recently. Yeah, didn't? I hated it. You did? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you gave it what, like... I think I gave it a two, maybe. Or two and a half. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I definitely didn't go above two and a half. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, 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 saw, I saw your review, and I was like, eh, whatever. I just uh, didn't... Yeah, I just felt like it was very, like, um, yeah, post, post-Tarantino, you know, very much trying to I be I mean, Tarantino. how could you not be influenced by Tarantino? Yeah, I mean, like... like like personally, I think it, I think it has its huge. I think it more has its own personality apart from the the stuff that I've seen in Tarantino's movies. But yeah, like 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 Jonathan said, like it's hard to get like after Pulp Fiction, it's hard to get away from Tarantino's influence because that movie just cast such a huge shadow, especially over '90s action yeah. movies. I guess that I, had any yeah. kind of comedic uh, beats to them. Yeah, I guess I, I agree with that. Like, it does cast a huge shadow. It's just like this movie, as well as like any Guy Ritchie movie that's about crime, as well as like you know, take your pick of whatever you know crime film that came out in the immediate aftermath of the success of Pulp Fiction, mm. Usual Suspects, whatever. They're all like, it's like they take the. In my mind, I'm sorry, and correct me if I'm wrong, I've seen Pulp Fiction about 150 times. The minuscule amount of comedy that is in Pulp Fiction, and they exacerbate it and make films into comedies where, like, like Tarantino yeah. is not making comedies. He's making, like, crime action movies, and then yeah. they happen to be funny at parts. I'll have to watch it again, but... Uh... But Snatch That's is, all I ever remember is the a comedy com- in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> well, Snatch is a comedy. Like, there's nothing. Like, it's not. It's yeah, comedy I mean, first. Like, it's supposed to be very funny, and they're trying yeah. for laughs. Yeah, every scene they're trying for laughs, and that's that. not a problem. Like it's not a problem that they're trying to be funny. Yeah, I mean, it's just a matter. Of, like that, that's just a matter of like whether or not you find it funny. And I, I find certain, yeah. I find certain parts of it funny. I find Brad Pitt very good in it, very funny in it. But 
some of the like the Dennis Farina character and the Vinnie Jones character, like that <laughs> stuff doesn't work for me at all. And the black guys, I, like they're terrible. I can't. I love. I love it though. <laughs> like, well, it's your what, review. What, I mean, you just watched your, it. I don't. Know, you know. What's your? You just backed into a two-ton truck, Tyrone. I didn't see it. It's the size. <laughs> it's the size of a jumbo jet. <laughs> no, no, that's the parking space. Like, uh, why didn't you just park across the street? S- space is too small. It's a size. You could land a jumbo jet in that space, Tyrone. <laughs> there was a funny angle. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> was that a funny? <laughs> I just, I guess, I guess that's part and of the it. whole thing with the dog. Like it eats the squeaky toy, and like, <laughs> yeah. See, that's not. And that like, does nothing for me. Yeah, like the squeaky uh, toy. I don't know. And, and yeah, like I, I, I love Farida in the movie. Like you know, I, hello, Abby. Sit down, you big bald fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and like, what do I call you, Tony? Teeth, bullet. You can call him Susan if it makes you happy, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> and like, and at the very end, you know. Anything to declare? Yeah, don't go to England. I just, I, I think like part of part of your, now I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but obviously you are you're Mister British comedy guy. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, that so that goes a long way with you, right? For so, sure. Yeah, because yeah, this is like, yeah, it's very, it's it's very much a British style of comedy, you know, as as it would be being made in Britain by a British director and a British cast. It's very British, and I don't want to yeah. say I don't like Dennis Farina. I do, but I don't. I just he, in this movie, I find him a little too crass for my taste. But have you I seen this movie too many times? Maybe, uh, possibly. I mean, I did see it like four hundred times when yeah, I was a kid. I've seen it <laughs> realistically twenty plus times. Not, not. Right, but right, to be right. fair, when I saw it four hundred times as a kid, I loved it every time. Yes, yeah, same, right, right, right. same here. And I just feel like I've outgrown it, kind of. That's all. And it's not like a situation. It's not a thing where like Kevin likes it, so he's an idiot. It's a comedy. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're, you're right, though. It is a comedy, and it's like sometimes comedy is just. I don't know. They Comedies don't. are hard to judge yeah, too. Car- it's like, yeah, it's like how do you? I mean, what it, do you? What do yeah. you? What do you judge a comedy on? Like uh, how many like laughs per minute? Or it's like if this movie's not <laughs> if it's like minute. if that's what its main goal is, and it doesn't make me laugh that much. Did it? Was it a complete failure? Like I yeah. don't think so necessarily. Yeah. If it has other yeah. redeeming qualities, mm-hmm. maybe. But I don't really look at it that way. I look at it. Like, it's definitely a comedy, but I'm not judging it necessarily as a comedy. I'm judging it as a as a you know a, again like a post Tarantino kind of like I can just it, just the fact that it seems to have this like I guess like the over stylization of the whole thing and the kind of like like you kind of like that though see I'm not a big fan of any yeah. of that and in, yeah. in in the Guy Ritchie's version of that I guess yeah I mean and uh like I really I really love Snatch I need to go back and rewatch Revolver because I remember it being like weird and like not really understanding it very well what about Lockstock? uh need to see that uh, you haven't seen that if i've um i've probably seen it like once okay. i remember liking that more than snatch i actually. definitely like it better than snatch yeah. right but I, I, have it's to been a long time yeah i'd have yeah. to go back and watch but it. i i never i didn't finish but Revolver. yeah like his I only watched uh, like 10 minutes of it yeah but like his Sherlock Holmes movies, I don't feel the need to go back and watch those again. King uh, Arthur, I just haven't found out seen that it. He did those. I, I was like, I, I know, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I that's was on like, tape. That's on our last I, episode. Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> yeah. Blo- I was blown away. I was like, I thought he fucking vanished off the face of the earth, right? Like, like he did shit. swept away, and then he was in director jail for a while. And yeah, I thought he was still in right, director right. jail. Yeah, I know. I was like, those movies were fucking huge. He did those movies, and then he came back and did King Arthur. And now I think he's in director jail again. Oh. <laughs> He just well, like, win. Yeah, he was supposed to do though um, the Crusades movie or whatever yeah, yeah, for yeah. a while, or it's called like Blood of Something. I don't know. Uh, Rustin was telling us about it like ten years ago. Oh wow! And then it just never came around. And he instead does this like I don't know, really. Ridley Scott might have made Kingdom of Heaven instead. Oh yeah, maybe. Or, yeah. yeah, 
Because, like, uh, like with uh, Barry Lyndon, like, um, Kubrick wanted to do, like, a bunch of, like, period pieces. And then, like, one was already in production. Yeah. One had just been made as a TV show. And he was like, okay, well, I'm going to do all this other stuff. The so, Napoleon film? Yeah, which I think he should have done it. Oh, yeah, it would have been That would have really been good. so good. Yeah, because, like, because... Everybody really talk, you know, people will talk about Stanley Kubrick, but I don't think I've ever met anyone in my life who said, hey, man, this movie, Waterloo, from the early 70s, you got to see this movie. <laughs> so, like, Well, it yeah. could have been, it could have been not 100% his situation. It could have been, yeah, like, true. he could have been, it could have been the studio saying we're not going to fund a movie about Napoleon because there's this other movie about Napoleon that just came out. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah, and I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. What did you give Snatch? Five. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, are you? Do you yeah. want me to go again, or you just want to go? I'll go. Okay. Uh, watch Mother, finally. Oh. Mm. That's pretty good. Did you... Now... No, never mind. I'll ask Nap you time that. for me. <laughs> Mother is pretty good, huh? What did you give Mother? I gave it, like, a two. Two? Yeah. See, for me, like, I, I was I was going five. I really was. Cause, uh, I'm right there with <laughs> you, bud. <laughs> Oh, both of you are going to get together, rewatch I, it, and it's going to go up. I gave, yeah. it, I gave it a four. Because I think like, both of you gave it a four. I gave it a four. I, I gave it a four. Though, it's yeah. a four and a half. I'm sorry. The more I think about it. Oh, uh, wow. It, it for you. It is so ballsy, this movie. And not even the baby uh, neck-cracking uh, disembowelment is uh, you know pretty insane. But like... Spoiler. Yeah, oh, yeah. Spoiler, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the baby crack neck disembowelment, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, just everything about it is just ballsy as fuck. Like there's there's parts where like like uh, Kristen Wiig shows up and I'm like, oh no, what yeah, the fuck? What the Scary. fuck's going on? Yeah. But it turns up. out like fucking amazing. I'm like, this fucking rules. It, it's great. And like there's you know, <laughs> during the whole madness scenes of you know like towards the end where she's going through each room and there's like you know military dudes and everything. Like I was like watching this, I'm like, no one, no one's doing this. No one is doing anything even remotely close to this. This is like. I'm not the biggest film guy ever, but this is this is madness to me. Like, it's uh, how do you not like this movie? (laughs) It's just just, like even if you don't like like it, it's like you have to appreciate it. Like, it's holy shit. Like he he he's back. Aronofsky's back, dude. The the sins of Noah are forgiven. (laughs) The sins of Noah. That's a double entendre because this is a fucking (laughs) allegory. This is allegory beyond allegory. It's, right. It's uh, and I I was watching some analysis videos like I usually do, um, after the movie, and uh, you know, it's pretty obvious what it's about. But like, yeah. you know, people were trying to like take like you know, gnostic like uh like Middle Ages theories and plugging into it. And I was like, I I don't I don't think I think it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it I, seems really obvious. And I was watching yeah, I, mean, I was watching uh interviews with Aronofsky because I was kind of getting fed up with that shit, and I'm like. He's just like, yeah, it's about Mother Earth and, you know, Genesis. Like, pretty much, you know. And, yeah. And, and I was like, okay, you know. But the like, great thing is that it works. There's this, there's this second door, secondary allegory <laughs> of, the like, the creative process and the creative yeah. and how it affects people around him in his life. Like, so there's all that going on, too, which I, I think is I like, very, I like, works really well. Yeah, and I like the almost, like, nihilistic approach to it where it's like God is this, like, just terrible being like i don't know it's just like you know just just wipe the the slate clean or whatever and then just start again and it's just like how many people have to suffer for your <laughs> it's like it's it's insane i don't know it's just re- it's really good it's really really good you think about it think like god how far if god is real how far above us is god 
like we're like we'd be like ants to him. And how much would you care if you like pour right. gasoline on that on an anthill? Like yeah. it wouldn't bother you at all. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's like it's like <laughs> who gives a fuck about people? Like I'm God. I make I make another one. I make another one just like that one that I just destroyed. You know what I mean? Yeah. I control time. <laughs> but yeah. I, I love how like this film for me is like it it treats like really like heavy handed like grandiose themes with like the most grounded like mm-hmm. situations. Yeah. Like get off the sink. Like yeah. get off the sink. It's just like that part was fucked. It's insane. Like I no like again, no one is doing this. It's it's crazy, dude. Like it's <laughs> What do you I think about like like Jennifer Lawrence's performance cuz I mean, you're Lawrence, not a big fan of her. I'm not at all. She was fantastic in this movie. Yeah. She's got that like innocent face, you know what I mean? Like kind of childish. She kind of still looks like she's 16. Yeah, she yeah. really does. And I'm like she was absolutely perfect in this movie. Like she really was. I don't know, like what about the other acting like the Javier Bardem obviously I mean um Javier being... Bardem was pretty good uh, he was he was good um I think he did what he's supposed to do Ed Harris yeah. is just a god I'm sorry like I I love Ed Harris uh, I love his face like, he's just he's just he looks like he shouldn't be an actor he should be like a ranch a hand fisherman or yeah yeah <laughs> yeah a deep sea fisherman or something um like on one of those crab boats yeah yeah right um yeah he he rules uh, Michelle Pfeiffer was. The weak link. Come on. I didn't. Come on. I didn't hate her. I didn't hate her, but she was not good. She yeah. was. She wasn't great, but uh, she did. She does have that like evil old lady face. Yeah, she does. Yeah. Yes, and that helped. She's got like a Jack Nicholson thing going she on with like, her eyebrows and shit. It's like really weird. Yeah, but I can't stand. I really can't naturally stand naturally evil. Um, yeah, I don't like her at all. But uh, and of course, uh, Donald Gleason. He was great. Got to be his best performance, right? I mean, like, <laughs> and when he kills his brother, I was just like, "This, this, this is just the shit. This yeah. movie is the shit." And it's just a. I role. love how he kills him too with the doorknob. Yeah, like such a weird choice to like <laughs> a fucking roller coaster ride. It, it really, really is. is. Yeah, if you're gonna call a movie a roller coaster ride, this would be it. Yeah. Yeah, it's like nonstop. And I, I don't usually feel this, but like I, I have to rewatch this. Like I, I feel like I missed something. I missed things because it's just like towards the end, man. It's just like machine gun. Mm-hmm. Fire! It's 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 crazy. Rapid pace. Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad you enjoyed um, it, or uh, and, and I'm glad you yeah. gave it a chance to. You know, I think it's important to, uh, regardless of what you think about a film when it ends, the most important thing is to give them a chance and watch them. And you know, know what? It, that's Aronofsky's fault for for me not being super interested in this because the way they sold this movie was just stupid as hell. Like a horror movie. Like yeah, they definitely painted like <laughs> some kind of like paranormal activity kind of thing. You'll be forever changed after watching that or whatever. They, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, dude. Because Nicole was terrified. She thought it was going to be a, a horror movie. Yeah. And she was, like, really disappointed. Because she didn't want it to be a horror movie, but she was also just, like, pissed off at the end. Because she was, I guess she was expecting something, and she didn't get it, you know, yeah. so she didn't like it at all. But, uh, yeah, dude, um, I need to rewatch a couple. I need to rewatch The Wrestler and I'd like Pi. for you to rewatch Black Swan. Oh, I need to rewatch that, too. Because that's, that's the most, for to me, that's the most similar to this. In that it's I didn't know in that the, it's shot very similarly yeah. and it's very like psychological and I didn't know what to think about that movie after seeing it really, mm. but uh, I need to watch a few more. I, I want to rank him. But, oh yeah, I need to rewatch Pi myself. I'm extremely interested to see what he does next. For sure. Well, uh, 
I uh, watched Enter the Battlefield Life on the Magic the Gathering Pro Tour. Did you finish this? No, I didn't. Fuck. <laughs> I wanted to talk about this with you. I, I watched like 45 minutes of it. I know. Jonathan is just shattering all good. of John's dreams know, this weekend, man. I know. Sorry, dude. Sorry. Well, uh, I didn't rate this because it's like an hour and five minutes. Uh, I mean, I guess if I was going to rate it, it'd be like a three. It's not It's not amazing or anything. It's just It was just fun to watch because, you know, getting back into Magic and everything, just uh, fun to see, like, guys who are, like, super obsessed with it and the just the the seriousness with which they treat the the game you know <laughs> they have like notepads where they're like writing down shit while they're playing and stuff that's just i don't know it just seems very like it's yeah it's like like it's like a street fighter too like yeah I, I, a few years ago i think street fighter 5 came out and i got like really into it i bought like a fighting stick and shit i was like this is fun you know i was looking up videos and shit and like dude people like play this shit for like 20 hours a day like Jeez. like barely sleep it's like you. I mean, honestly, though, if you're like 16 and you dedicate all the time to, like, you could be, you could make a lot of money. It's just I like mean, magic. you could make money, but like, even with the Magic the Gathering it's thing, so like, competitive. Like, like yeah. these guys, a lot of these guys in this documentary who are on the Pro Tour, like, don't seem to have jobs really. Like, some of them do, but like, yeah, the main guys who are like in the Hall of Fame, like, they don't have jobs. But I'm like, how do you support yourself? Because like, even if you win the Pro Tour, you win like 40 grand. It's like, what the fuck? Are you gonna, like once a year, you get 40 grand. Like, right. That's, Enough for so you live on 40 grand a year. Which I mean, it's cool, but it's like it just seems like it's not really worth it. Like I just have another job for something. They must win, income, yeah. like smaller tournaments. Yeah, too, maybe probably. I don't know if there's like yeah. more like like other money tournaments. As far as I get yeah. from the documentary, it makes it sound like all the tournaments are just uh, qualifiers mm. to get to the pro tour. Mm. But um, mm. you know, the the main the the main problem I had with it, and not that I you know it's like a, kind of a nitpick, but like I wish there was a documentary that was about magic and the history of magic because all the stuff with Richard Garfield and like how he came up with the game, it was like five minutes in the movie and I could have watched a whole movie of him describing how he came up with this game. Like when he showed the old cards, like the first cards that he made, like by hand, I was just like, that's what I want to hear about. Like, hey. <laughs> like talk about this. And then they just immediately <laughs> drop it and you never see him yeah. again. Yeah. But you know, it's all right. It's on YouTube. If, uh, you know, if anybody's interested in watching that and I vice has a hour long documentary too about magic, but I haven't watched it yet. I plan to. That one's great. Okay, well, I haven't seen it. I've seen that one. So, yeah, that's that. I did a <laughs> a Kubrick double bill uh, last weekend. Rewatched Paths of Glory, which, better than I remembered it being, uh, Kirk Douglas is on fire in this movie. He's, like, uh, the scene in the courtroom where they're, like, no, you can't do this. Oh, and you can't do this. Oh, you can't do that either. And, like, just the frustration on his face and, like, you know, he's ready to just behead all of them with his bare hands and he's holding it back. He's so great in, in this movie. Yeah, he's got a lot of uh, intensity for sure. Yeah. Even in the scenes where he's, like, quiet, like those those famous tracking shots of him walking through the trenches, like, he's got a real yeah, yeah. mean face on, you know? Yeah, and uh, just the just the whole, like thing about uh the french the french army in world war one where they're just you know uh you know make the glorious sacrifice for france and knowing that they were literally sending people into a meat grinder and mm. uh all that it's just you know i don't think you see enough of that on the screen in this movie or in general uh in general I don't think you see enough World War Two. World War One is not represented at all. 
You no, know, I mean, it's I like mean, I mean, it's like a handful of movies that deal with World War One at all. Yeah, yeah, because uh, none of them are that great. I mean, Paths of Glory is probably like head and shoulders above the rest of them. I'd say so, and like, yeah, the only the only other instance where I can think of where it's like really like better dealt with is uh, the fourth season of Black Adder, and that's a comedy. So, yeah, it would be it would be nice to see that kind of thing given a little more attention to. But uh, yeah, so that one four out of five, and I also rewatched Eyes Wide Shut, and it went up a little bit for me. I could appreciate it a little bit more now, but I still don't think it's very interesting as a movie. Hmm. Um, the like, you know, it seems like you know Kubrick, you know, I like, what was it like fifteen years since um. Full Metal Jacket before he made Eyes no, Wide no, Shut? No, 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 What year is it? Twelve years in between the release of the film. Okay. Oh. 87 and 99. Still. And he, uh, and he, and he worked yeah. on Eyes Wide Shut for two years, so really right, ten right. years from... Jeez. Yeah. Still, um, a long But, yeah, no, it's a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nothing compared to, you know, like a Malick uh, absence. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I was making too many movies. Yeah. He, he, could, he could use a break. Um, but yeah, like I, I thought like a lot of the acting in it is just, is so bizarre. Like, um, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, a lot of their dialogue is them talking like this. And it's like, for no apparent reason, it's like, even when they're just talking to each other in their apartment, when they're getting ready to go out, <laughs> they still speak in this very halted manner. And William Shatner esque. Not even not even that. Like Shatner at least has a cadence to his performance. <laughs> this was just I'm sure I don't know what. I'm sure it was intentional. I'm sure it was, but at this, but I, I don't know. I don't know what that does for. The I think movie. it was an accident. Okay, oh. I, there are no accidents. In I, <laughs> be that be that as it may, uh, Sidney Pollock rules in this movie. He's he's easily the best acting. Um, but yeah, like everything else is just like, why am I watching such a this? weird like, such a weird thing to say? Sidney Pollock is the best thing about <laughs> Eyes Wide Shut. For me, he is. Uh, I mean, I, I, he's the, good. I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not Nicole saying you're Kidman wrong. Is the best part of it. Nicole Kidman's <laughs> bare nakedness is uh, the best part of them. <laughs> no, she is great looking though in this one. Uh, no, she's all right. She doesn't do it for you. Uh, have, not really. Yeah, she yeah. never has though. Honestly, she, like she has for me. I mean, <laughs> I mean, sort of. When I was younger, like Batman Forever. Um, she's good looking in that. She's got yeah. she's really hot and far and away when she's got that fiery red hair thing going on. Uh, Oof. Oof. <laughs> and uh, what, what about uh, Days of Thunder? I never saw Days of Thunder. Really? Need okay. to. I uh, haven't got around I to it. I enjoyed that movie uh, when I was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and, and uh, yeah, so for Eyes Wide Shut, the movie is just way too long. It's like two hour 40 and it just it's not it's too long there's a lot of stuff that needed to be cut out like the the scene where he's or tom cruise is walking down the street and the guys are like stop fag you want to blow me 
you know, exit only, buddy. And it's like, there's literally no reason for that. <laughs> Aside from him being accosted on the street. It's like, oh, well, I got to show how rough and tumble New York is. Okay. That, that would be my biggest problem with the film would be uh, the fact that it's like obviously shot on stages. So even like when yeah, he's outside yeah. in the streets, it looks like a Seinfeld episode. Like the, building, <laughs> yeah. the buildings look fake and stuff. Yeah. I'm not uh, a big fan of that. But other than that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of this movie. I mean, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, but I can see what I, I kind of, I can see where your gripes are coming from. Yeah. It so, is long. Yeah. So I gave it uh two and a half. Ouch. I, uh, well, I watched uh, California Typewriter, which directly inspired me to type out my notes on Typewriter this week. Hipster fuck. I know. Uh, <laughs> Bring up what, the typewriter. Okay, what's weird is, okay, so y- you say hipster fuck, and I, I agree. But, uh, not that I'm a hipster, but I agree that, like, hipsters are into typewriters, right? You yeah, know I think? Yeah, yeah. There is a zero hipster presence in this movie. Like, it's all about how really? typewriters are very popular with certain people, but uh, the people who they're popular with are not hipsters. Yeah. Like, uh, Tom Hanks is in this movie, obviously. Like, I don't know if you guys are aware. He's like yeah, a huge yeah. typewriter collector. He's like super into typewriters. Oh, that's cool. Right, right. And he even came out with his own app to turn your iPad into a typewriter, which is pretty fucking stupid. But anyway. What about Cormac McCarthy? They talk about him. They they show he a- they show his typewriter being auctioned at the beginning of oh, the movie. That's cool. Huh. And it gets like two hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> he like wrote every book he ever wrote on it. But um That's pretty awesome. Yeah, so that's cool. Uh but this movie is really like about um it's like sort of about it's about typewriters, like don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. And it's centered on this shop called the California Office Supply Co. or something, but they keep calling it California Typewriter. Like anytime they answer the the shop on the like California Typewriter, and it's like the last shop where they repair typewriters still, and it's in uh, Berkeley, hmm. and it's all about their shop. But it like takes time out to show these different people who collect typewriters, uh, creatives who like to use the typewriter like they interview sam shepherd before he died oh, cool. uh in his office with his typewriter they interview tom hanks obviously because he has like a typewriter collection it's like 250 typewriters and he talks about how like the reasons that he likes to use it and they interview john mayer who uses a typewriter which is which is like the part where hmm. they they get to john mayer he's in the studio he's got all these instruments behind him you know like a million dollars worth of instruments behind him and he's like, you know, I just, I really like using the typewriter because this and this. And I was like, at, at this point, this is about midway through the movie. And I was like, I'm about to tune out at this point. Cause like John Mayer's like, come on. Like yeah, it's he, fucking he, John he, he's using a yeah. typewriter. He's a, like, that's his, that's his yeah, yeah. coming through, you know, but he gives like the most genuine smart answer as to why he would use the typewriter. And it just makes a hundred percent sense. He says he uses it. He's like, he's like, I uh, I had all these songs that I wrote on my computer and they were sitting on my hard drive and I never go back to them. I don't ever look at them again. So it's like this weird thing where they're like trash, but I can always go back and get them if I need to, but I never will. When I type on the typewriter, all of my mistakes are still there on the page. I can't correct my mistakes as I go. I can't self-edit. So everything that I write is on the page forever. And it's a page that's in front of me on my table all the time. And it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Like Mm -hmm. from a creative person who's trying to write like a song or a book or whatever. Right. And then he shows his typewriter that he bought and it is the most uncool, (laughs) unhipstery. He bought like a a typewriter from like 1991. One of these huge electric deals. (laughs) It's a piece of shit. Like it's this thing where it's like, like why, who never, no one would want this. So it's clear he's only using it 
to get that yeah that uh not to get rid of self-editing essentially you know uh. like he's not using it to be cool at all because it's not cool it's fucking stupid looking right you know it's like every other person in this movie is into typewriters because of how they like partially because of the aesthetics they look amazing right but the, he's just he only wants it because of the, the functionality of it you know and so it makes sense that he would buy this one from you know the early 90s where he can still get cartridges for it from office depot online Right. And, you know, and it's electric and he doesn't have to do anything with, you know, it's not hard to take care of or anything. You know, it makes total sense. So there's, I, there's a point to that, though, because like, yeah. like on my phone, like I have all the notes on my phone. I never look at that shit. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But I got like a few moleskins at the house, you know, and I'll, right. I'll, I'll like every once in a while I get nostalgic. And I'll look through. I'm like, oh, shit, you know, right, cool. right, right. That's yeah. exactly his point. And I yeah. think it's really I think it's a really smart point. And Tom Hanks had one, too, which was pretty good. Like there's just a couple of times where they make arguments for why you should use a typewriter still, or, or the use of a typewriter can you know how a typewriter can be useful still in our in our age, and he said uh, anytime he gets anything, he receives anything, a gift, or if he receives an invitation to go anywhere, he has stationery with his name on it, and he type he does a typewritten response to that, and he sends it to the person, hmm. and he's like to his mind, he's like when I when I receive it, something that's handwritten or typewritten. It means more to me than receiving, like, if I, cause if I receive yeah. an email, thank you for something, I just delete that email. Like, I don't even give a fuck. Like, he doesn't care about that. He wants to, he likes the tactile, you know, you can, it, ta- yeah. it takes more time. It shows more effort. Especially nowadays. Yeah. Like, even more than ever. Like, it's, yeah, exactly. yeah. it's just fading away. Exactly. So, I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I like that. And then, just the, just the kind of uh, obsessives, they follow around this one guy who's, like, obsessed with getting the one of the early like the like earliest models of typewriter and he's looking for them and he's going to all these different places like he goes and visits a museum and they won't give him one and he goes and visits this private collector who has 12 of them and he won't sell any of them (laughs) and he's just like obsessed with getting this typewriter and he just can't seem to do it i don't know it's just like a really it's when you watch the trailer for it it makes it look like it's one of these kind of like you know, generic Netflix documentaries that you would just kind of throw on in the background or something, but it's actually quite good. It's quite well made. Very, Mm. very interesting. And, uh, one thing that's amazing about it that I don't think I've ever seen any documentary do. And whoever is listening can correct me if I'm wrong. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but this movie interviews a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And none of them are identified in the movie. There's no text on the screen ever on this. Wow. And it makes sense because, like, the first person you see is Tom Hanks. It's like, obviously, you know, no need to introduce Tom Hanks. Everybody knows who Tom Hanks is. But then they go to the guy who runs California Typewriter. Don't tell you who he is. <laughs> you know? They go to the guy who works for him. Don't tell you who he is. They go to the guy who's collecting typewriters. Don't tell you who he is. It's because it's not important what their names are, right? You know what I mean? Right. It's just like they're just, they're, they're, what they're doing is what's important, yeah. you know? Right. And every once in a while, there'll be a person who's less interesting. Like, there's this girl who's a total hipster who's like typing poems for people, you know, it's uh. just really fucking stupid, but, um, <laughs> but you know, that's a very small part of the movie and they go to the history of the typewriter, which is kind of interesting. And they show like these old models that are really ridiculous that did like before they had keyboards, oh, yeah. they would have like a, they had like a dial and you like turn the dial to the letter you want and you press a button and it t- types that letter and then you turn the dial to the next letter oh, you want. God, it's pretty that, insane. That's a nightmare. <laughs> this is like, this is like, on that. right, right. This is like back in the early, like the early 1800s, mid 1800s. So it's yeah. so oh. way before they like perfected it. But, um, yeah, it's pretty, it's a solid movie and, uh, I would recommend it if you have, it's on Hulu. So, if you're bored and you want something to watch, it's really easy to watch. It's a little bit long, I'd say. It feels like it's wrapping up, 
like it really felt like it was wrapping up because it started cutting back to Tom Hanks and back to John Mayer. And I was like, oh, it must be like wrapping up now. And I looked at it and it still had like 45 minutes left. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, it's it's pretty solid. I gave it a four. Funny thing. I have also kind of been in the market for a typewriter. Oh, yeah? Just, yeah, just to, just to have one around because like my penmanship is not great and like – I've been wanting to like get back into working on stories and I feel like having the typing knowledge that I do, that would be a lot better than like, you know, buying another laptop to type on or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Why can't you type on the laptop you already have? Cause it's, I don't know. It's just not that great for typing. Mm. Like, uh, um, you just end up going to YouTube or something. Yeah, pretty much. That's another thing. I think that they don't really get something. They don't really get into that, but that's another <laughs> good reason. I think to like, if I'm like when I got my typewriter out today, okay, I got two typewriters in my house and I had one that had a ribbon that was good still. So I got it out and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to see if this thing works and it worked. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to type out my notes today. Cause this can be something to type. And, uh, it was like a. It's just a lot of fun yeah, <laughs> to yeah. type on a typewriter. But B, it's like yeah, I could see if I'm gonna sit down and try to write a short story or something. Like it's totally distraction free. Like there's nothing but you in the page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no like I can't go visit anything else. I can't you know go to Facebook or anything like that. So yeah, yeah it's very distraction free. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean you can go to the. I bought I bought my I bought my first typewriter at uh. Salvation Army. They wanted forty for it, but I I only paid ten because uh, there was a sheet of paper in it to like prove that it worked, and it was covering up the actual price. And I didn't even see it. And I walked up. I said, "How much is this?" They were like, "Oh, I don't know, ten bucks." I was like, "Okay." And I gave him ten bucks, and I went home and I looked behind. I took the sheet out, and it said forty dollars on it. <laughs> I was like, "Oh fuck!" <laughs> and then uh, the so second you drove back and gave him thirty. Right? No fuck no. And then the second time I uh, the second time I went to America's Thrift Store, which is over by Cortana, right? Yeah, Thunderdome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. It, is it really is. And I paid, and they they had one that was actually a lot nicer, and like it's a travel typewriter, like really, oh. like just like the size of oh, the laptop, cool. you know. Oh, nice. And it had, a, and it was only they only wanted ten dollars for it, so I paid for that one. And it, they both work perfectly. I just need an ink, ink ribbon for the travel one. Cool, cool. But yeah, they're really they're really super nice. Yeah. But I mean, and you can look online, like if you say you're in the market for a typewriter. Yeah. But eBay is like insane, man. Right. Like, yeah. You'll pay like three or four hundred dollars for a typewriter. Yeah, I've seen nuts. I've seen some on Amazon that are like one fifty or you know something like that. But like, yeah, I would seriously go to the thrift stores. Yeah, yeah, first. Yeah, my only concern is like I want something that I know that I can like get uh, ribbons for. That's that not a thing. problem because I mean, there's all kinds of independent companies that make cool. like facsimile ribbons for all the different models still. Cool. So like I have a like I have a Smith Corona and I have a, a Royal and they they both have people who make ribbons for them still. Cool. Like those companies are defunct, I guess now, but yeah. Anyways, yeah. So, good yeah. uh good stuff. Yes, indeed. What else you got? Uh, let's see. How many more you have? Uh, let's see. How three. many more do you have? Okay, I have 3 also, so we're good. Okay. Uh, let's see. I watched I Am Not Your Negro, the documentary directed by Raul Peck based on some writings by James Baldwin. And this fucking shit is intense, man. Mm. Like, I I figured, you, you know, a documentary about race in America, like, there's going to be some, you know, heavy stuff to watch. But, like, there's one, like, scene where they're, like, doing a montage. And this black girl is just walking 
along the side of a building, cop comes up to her and just shoves her head into a wall. Hmm. And it's like, what the fuck? And like, yeah. So yeah, a lot of it was like really, really hard to take. It's a very well-made documentary though. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson narrates it and he's basically like reading from James Baldwin's letters. And like Sam Jackson is a guy who like he like, you know, Every week there's another movie with him coming out, but this one, like he obviously like put a lot of time and effort into reading these words very well. And like just James Baldwin's words are like very poetic and very emotional without being like overly like flowery or, you know, quote unquote poetic. And it follows like, like the fact that like James Baldwin was like friends with Medgar Evers, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And so like he sees like their rise to power and like he, you know, he's friends with all three of these guys and he has to watch all three of his friends die. And like they, you know, he talks about where he was when he found out that all three of them were murdered. Jeez. And yeah, it's very, very worth watching because, you know, there are a lot of, you know, there are a lot of things about racism in America, but I think this puts it into, like, it definitely, like, grounds it into a perspective that you can maybe not entirely empathize with, but, like, this is probably the best you can get to actually, like, trying to put yourself in a black person's shoes. And, like, the there's a guy, like, um, there's a part where... James Baldwin is on the Dick Cavett show and some like sociology professor comes out and, and you know, this is like the mid seventies. Why is it always got to be about race? And Baldwin tells him flat out, like, because it is always about race. You know, like the reason I moved to Paris was because over there, I don't have to worry for my life at every single given point just because of the way I look. So yes, it does always come back to race because like they um they show a lot of clips from movies about you know um you know him like growing up and like realizing that like you know just just because of the way he looks like everything that's normal in america or what they're trying to persuade everyone that is normal in america he is literally the opposite so yeah Cool. Definitely worth watching. Uh, do you guys remember this? I think it was like last year. Uh, speaking of James Baldwin, um, Morrissey like used like his image on one of his like shirts for his concerts or something like that, and oh. and like didn't like attach Smith's lyrics to it. It was like I wear black because I feel black on the inside or something like that, and it was like people were like, "What the actual fuck is wrong with you?" <laughs> it's like the, the most. <laughs> Morrissey always pushing buttons. It was just like, <laughs> like it's it was it was genuinely. I think that was last year sometime. Yeah, I I remember seeing something not too long ago about him. Like uh, fucking crazy. This is like right after like the Me Too stuff was coming out, and he was like sort of trying to de- to defend Harvey Weinstein and like <laughs> I remember that. Like, and, he had said something uh, yeah. positive about Harvey Weinstein, which was weird. Yeah, and him, like, uh, you know, like, how many of these people can we really believe, like, that kind of thing, and it's like, 
I have never liked the Smiths, Just and I have never it. liked Morrissey. <laughs> like, and I genuinely don't understand why anyone would. I hate Morrissey. and and this only cements yeah. my <laughs> my disdain for that man. And every and you know, I do like. I want to. Uh, I want to find him, and I want to eat a drumstick in front of him. <laughs> I like. Just, the Smith. I like just the Smiths, though. The Smiths, like musically, are incredible. Johnny Marr is uh, insane, but uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Right, so, uh, John. Um, I don't like Johnny Marr either. <laughs> I mean, I, his guitar playing on those Smiths records are it's pretty insane. I don't know. I, uh, I uh, but yeah, like that. That's the good thing. stuff. Like for me, it was like Morrissey was like such a you know like his whining and his crappy lyrics yeah. it, is it's, just it, so it's heavy extreme. in the music. That's yeah. like I could never get past that. Yeah. Like if I could listen to like instrumental like karaoke versions of the Smith songs, I might appreciate them more. No, yeah. you know, all my Christmas shopping is done for Kevin. <laughs> the Queen is dead. Instrumental karaoke, <laughs> right? <laughs> William, it was really nothing. Instrumental. I mean, dude. Oh god, the instrumentation on that. Winston's gonna fuck. Winst- I'm sorry, just totally off, totally <laughs> off topic. But uh, Winston's car broke down, uh-huh. you know, so he, he's he's like can't make it to to play Magic tonight. Now he's talking about Ubering to to Little Wars. Because he wants ah. to play that bad, I'm I'm happy, man. I'm so glad. That's I, really I, crazy. I want to play against him. He built a deck. So Did I'm he get anything out of those uh, two hundred dollars? No, no, he said he got some valuable stuff, but no Jace. He bought a whole pack. He bought a whole box of boosters. Wow. For the new set, which was two hundred and twenty dollars, and he got. Uh, he said he got some stuff that's worth about a hundred bucks altogether, but I don't know. Uh, so that was a little detour into magic for a second. But what did you give uh, the James Baldwin? I am not your Negro. Uh, four. four. Yeah. I watched rewatched Highway, directed by James Cox, from uh, two thousand and three, I think, um, which stars Jared Leto and Jake Gyllenhaal and Selma Blair and John C. McGinley. And uh, I, I, we found I found this movie at Best Buy in the pre Blu Ray Dark Ages with my friend Logan and we bought it on a whim and watched it and loved it because even though I was probably 19 when I saw it still, you know, uh, an infant in the world of cinema and didn't understand anything. So seeing anything that was new or weird or different was very exciting. And this was definitely weird and different to me at the time. Uh, But watching it now, it really, aside from the nostalgia of having watched it when I was 19 and loving it with, you know, my friend and everything, uh, it doesn't work at all. It's terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody who's in it is bad, pretty much. I'd say John C. McGinley is really fun in it. Uh-huh. He's really weird. Like, he plays a character, like, if you know who John C. McGinley is, character actor, uh, was in Scrubs. Uh, yeah, Platoon. Platoon, yeah, a lot of, yeah. a lot of Oliver Stone stuff. He's in Wall Street. Yeah. Uh I really like John C. McGinley. I always have. He's in an episode of Frasier. He plays one of the bully guys who's a plumber now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. anyways, he plays, he plays a hippie drug dealer in this movie. Who's got <laughs> dreadlocks and he's like a total like weirdo hippie guy, but he's like super positive. I can't envision this. He's really, really, he's not skinny, but he's like, like I don't say he's skinny. Like he's not, he's not skinny. Like it's gross. He's just like, really ripped up like he looks 
like he's in the best shape of his entire fucking life. And it's weird because this movie was made in 2003, so he's probably, you know, in his 40s. Right. But he's in great fucking shape. And it's yeah. and I only mention this because he's wearing this, like, shirt through the whole movie that's, like, up to here. <laughs> so you see, like, his whole his abs and everything throughout the whole fucking movie. Wow. And he's wearing these, like, leather pants that are, like, just barely hugging his hips. So, it's like, his ass is hanging out of him the whole time. And it's just, I don't know, it's a really weird performance for him because you think of him as more of like a man's man kind of like side character kind of guy. But he's playing this very like, he's not effeminate or anything, but he's definitely like a little androgynous and kind of weird. And it's just a very bizarre role for him. Hmm. And um, I think the things that I liked about this movie when I was young are are things that I still kind of appreciate it like the this appreciate about it, which is like the script has like these dialogue flourishes where they're trying they're clearly trying to get at some kind of like like you you seen the movie Brick, right? Yeah. Like you know in Brick how there's like they kind of create this dialogue for the characters. Yeah, it's, it's kind very of like thirties. Like yeah, but it's hard boiled. Like, like it's thirties and hard boiled, but it's also like kind of invented out of like it's invented. It's inspired by that, but it's also got these other things that are like right. You know that aren't really related to that at all, but they kind of come from that. It feels like they were trying to do that a little bit in here. So okay. like Jake Gyllenhaal will refer to like they'll be talking about how um like the whole movie's about Jared Leto fucks this guy's wife who's like a mobster and he wants to get him and so they have to leave town and so they go to Seattle. And uh, there's like a 90s. Road, of course, yeah, you're going to yeah, Seattle. Exactly. It's a road trip movie, and it's set in the it's set in 1994, uh, the week of Cobain's suicide. God. And uh, like the movie Sense starts a pattern off, here, John. Yeah, yeah. God. Well, it's directly inspired. I mean, the reason I watched this was because of As You Are. You just got to right. finish this off with Last Days. I should have. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> anyway. So, like, they're talking about how, uh, like, Jake Gyllenhaal's, like, and, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal and Jared Leto are, like, 20 in this movie. And he's like, you know you know what he wants to do to you, don't you? He doesn't want to kill you. He wants to break your feet. That's what he does. And he's like, break my feet? Oh, man. And he's like, dude, broken feet are the worst. It's like <laughs> it's like black death. It's so gothic. And I was like, that, I like, I kind of like, I can appreciate what they're trying to do there. Like, right. he's creating this new vernacular or something. Like, I don't hear anybody else saying those words, describing, yeah. like, it's black <laughs> death. It's gothic. Like, that's kind of cool. But, but, um, I don't know. Aside from that, those little flourishes like that, and John C. McGinley's kind of charming performance where he has those same kind of lines. Like, he'll, like, when he introduces himself, he goes, here's five good ones, and he'll, like, Hand, like hand for uh, handshake here's five good ones right. and uh like that's pretty you know that's kind of cool but uh other than that i'd say it's a pretty pretty big bore and um really lame and like stupid uh, uh like just cheesy like it seems like it was made in 1996 even though it was made in 2003 <laughs> like the soundtrack is terrible it's done by rich robinson who's a member of the black crows Oh, uh, God, it's horrible. Like this, like twangy, bluesy rock score, which doesn't even fit it because, like, they're into grunge, you know. So it's like, yeah, that makes, sense. that makes no sense. Jonathan's over here having a conniption. He's like foaming at the yeah. mouth. It's brutal, but um, and Selma Blair's no, terrible like, in it. I'm getting lyrics in in my head. Uh, they do that one song. Don't name it. I'm not gonna. Say She's an it. angel, or what? She talks to angels. <laughs> yeah, they said she talked to angels. Yeah. <laughs> played on nine eight point one. They used to in the day. It was like a new. Oh, no, no, no. There's the other one. Though. It's like it's like come on, baby, let me it. Oh, that's brutal. It's like let me come on, baby, let me light your candles and my arms. That's around. That is like that is screwdrivers in my ear. Yeah, uh, it's horrible. Well, luckily there are no lyrics to any of the songs that he makes. It's like a score, but it's, it's still pretty bad. Oh, We're and safe. 
Jeremy Piven is in this, and oh God. I, I'm a, I'm actually, I mean, I'm a fan of Jeremy Piven. Like he's fine, and uh-huh. I've seen every episode of Entourage, sadly enough, and he's good in it, and he's funny in most of his movies, and he's funny in like old school and stuff like that, and uh, Gross Point Blank, but he is so obnoxious and terrible in this movie. He plays this uh, drug dealer guy who is like just like so I guess he's supposed to be like high or something even though I don't think you ever see him do drugs but he's just like screaming his fucking head off for the whole five minutes that he's in the movie and it's just awful I think it's supposed to be funny but it's just uh, really awkward and like <laughs> I can't even watch it hardly. Like, I was like seriously like, cringing a little bit yeah, while I was watching it you know it's it. not good when you, when you cringe yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Un- uncontrollably cringe so you know all in all I'd say it was a pretty big uh, shit show and I wouldn't wouldn't recommend it uh and there was like this whole subplot about they stop in this little like hick town in Oregon uh, where there's a sideshow attraction of a alligator boy. And it's like this literal person who's like got some kind of disease that makes his skin scaly. Right. And they like they have they show him like he's and it's just, like terrible. Like the makeup's terrible. The kid playing the guy is like horrible at acting and there's this terrible scene where the these like jocks come and like try to mess with him and they're like pouring beer on him and stuff and like and like jake jake gyllenhaal and jared leto have to like fight them and protect the alligator boy it's like out of no like it makes no i mean like the way you're looking at me jonathan that's why i'm looking at the movie like how does this doesn't relate to anything that's going on in the movie like what is what is the point of this i don't know it's just a real shitty piece of shit um just a real downer of a movie. Man, sounds but like shit. I gave it a yeah. two, and honestly, all all two stars are a hundred percent. It's nostalgia and John C. McGinley. That's uh, it. I can see that. So, so I rewatched the Three Musketeers, starring Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, Tim Curry, Oliver Platt, Rebecca De Mornay, and uh, will he go that? Where will he go this far? Keep going. Who else you got there? Mr. One-Eye. Oh, yes. Yes. Michael Wincott. Yes. Yes. The wow. best part of any movie that Michael Wincott is in. is He Michael really Wincott. is. <laughs> like, you know, like as as cheesy as the line is, like when, when uh, like towards the end when they break into the palace and Kiefer Sutherland's like, you know, brandishing his sword. I hope we're not interrupting. Michael Wincott whips off his hat. On the contrary. You're right on time. It's amazing. <laughs> so great. I love it. Like, um, <laughs> he is good. <laughs> yes. The, the, the only thing, like I gave it a four and a half. Like the only reason it's not a five for me was because like, yes, I get that it's, you know, it's Disney, it's live action. It's supposed mm. to be a cheesy popcorn romp, but some of the dialogue was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That bad, huh? Yeah. Like, so there's a line where like Tim Curry is talking to the King of France and, um, uh, and the King is like, you know, I'm probably not going to have like a big birthday celebration. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. It's probably not the right time. And Tim Curry's like, you know, well, the queen has really been saying that she's looking forward to be there. The king of France kind of like, you know, stops and considers for a sec. Well, he wants to Anne's bang coming? the queen, right? Yeah. They're married. She's already the queen. Like, no, of course no, no, she's no, going to no, be no, there. No, 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 no. Yeah, but there's like... I, now, I, I haven't watched the movie in about a year. I did watch it relatively recently, but... Mm, all right. 
correct me if I'm wrong. There is like a like a situation with those two. Like they're not close at first, right? No. So it's but... like yeah, they're trying. Like their their marriage is arranged, or you can infer that their marriage has been arranged, and therefore they're not really in love. But he's in love with her. Right. Right. So yeah, I I, I kind of I don't mind that part. I don't know. It just, Give me it... another line that's terrible. Uh... <laughs> I'll defend it further. <laughs> Uh, some of Chris O'Donnell's lines were... You That's know, fair. Like, he's terrible. Yeah. 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 He's the worst. Like, he's terrible yeah. in everything. Because, um, yeah. Uh, I do like the conceit of when he, he makes the three different duels at different times of day. Yeah, that that was great. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like, um, you know, you're a musketeer? You're all musketeers? <laughs> and and then, like, uh, like later on, uh, you know, they're, like, riding, riding through the uh, woods being chased by the bounty hunters and, like, you know, you're... Uh, you know, your father, uh, he was lured into a trap by a fellow musketeer and then murdered. Musketeer? <laughs> <laughs> That's such a good impression. That's exactly how he says it to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Musketeer? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, uh, yeah. So, like, some of that, it's like, like you know, just. Also, don't, oh, stop. I'm, I'm also not a fan of uh, Kiefer Sutherland in the movie. I find really? it to be overly serious. I can and see I that. see like that's what his character's supposed to be, but it's like it gets a little tired for me. I can see that. Now, I mean, for me personally, this movie. Now I know I said Michael Wincott is awesome, and he right, is, but right. this movie begins and ends with Charlie Sheen. Like he's <laughs> oh yes, he's the best part of this movie. He is Top so great. He's amazing. Yes, he's yes. he's funny. He's totally fucking badass. Yes. Like the shit that he, some of the shit that he does, like when he's the executioner yeah. and then he pulls the gun out of his Bible and oh, shoots the guy and, and he crosses, crosses him with the smoke. I was, I lose my shit every time. It's so fucking cool. It is. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, you know, like fear not my son, you know, and like tips his cap up, gives Chris O'Donnell a wink. And then Oliver, Oliver Platt leans in with the ax. Like this ax was a gift to me from the Tsarina of Tokyo. <laughs> yeah. Classic. Oliver Platt's great. He's too. good I mean, too. Like, yeah. He's uh, good. Good comic relief. Yeah, like uh like when they're they're in the in the dungeons and uh that like big fat guy with leprosy is like, you know, like shows <laughs> up out of nowhere. Whoa, ugly. <laughs> and then like scene later, like, where have you been? Taking care of something ugly. I lo- I also love that Charlie Sheen is essentially the he's the hero. Like at the end he's the oh, one yeah. who, he's the one who beats Tim Curry. And I love the his line. You'll never hurt another living soul ever again. It's just so oh, he delivers it. To God. He delivers it so well. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Just, and like his whole yeah his whole religious thing where he's like fighting with his faith. It's like it's very it's not it's very surface and everything. Yeah, but at least it's something. Like he's the only person who has like a really interesting character like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's yeah, just, yeah. He's good in it, man. And like that uh, that scene where you know he like confronts Tim Curry and he's like, you know, you're not going anywhere. It's like. You of all know I don't answer to the laws of men. Then you'll answer to God. And Tim Curry shoots him. Yeah. And then like they find they find him dead. And like uh, they were like you know trying to find out where the bullet hit him. And then like they touch they touch the cross that's on his chest. Ah! And then like they find they find out that the uh, bullet like hit the cross and didn't Perfect. kill him. Perfect. It was great. Like I always say like this. I mean. I actually thought Lone Ranger was a decent movie. Not amazing, but decent. Hmm. And, like, this is a perfect example of how Disney should do their live-action movies. That, you know, it doesn't have to be Pirates of the Caribbean 70,000. You know, you can actually, like, look at that this movie and say, okay, yeah, that's how we should do it. 
make it fun, make it, you know, make it, kids can watch it and adults are going to get the jokes and the action is really well done and a lot of the shots are really good and... And you don't need like $30 million in CG. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, there's I mean, like no CG in this movie. Well, obviously, it's 1993. But if they yeah. made this movie again, there would be CG. And there yeah. Would be, oh, yeah. I mean, they be, made they essentially made this again when they made The Musketeer. And they had, when it was like, uh, it was in like 2006 or something. Remember this? Oh, yeah. yeah and had like Tim Roth theater. as yeah. Rochefort. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it, and it was like a lot of like uh, acrobatic kind of, uh, they had to mm-hmm. yeah, increase. Because yeah. this regular sword fighting is not cool enough anymore. And to me, like this movie uh, would make a great double bill with uh, Kevin Reynolds' uh, Count of Monte Cristo with oh, Jim Caviezel okay. and Guy Pierce. Like the sword fighting in that Fuck movie yeah. is like next level, and that's just the cool. I really dig the whole like rapier sword fighting shit. Like it's so fucking cool. You should yeah. watch The Duelist. I should watch The Duelist. But um, yeah, st- directed by Stephen Herrick. Stephen Herrick, Bill and Ted. Uh, yeah. Fame. <laughs> oh yeah. Holy he also shit. did uh, Rockstar with um. What's his face? Mark Wahlberg. Oh, right. And right. Mr. Holland's in theaters for like four yeah. days. And Mighty Ducks. I didn't know that. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I really, really like it a lot, too. Yeah. I don't think I gave it a four and a half, but I definitely Yeah, I think you, like three? <laughs> yeah, probably. I mean, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, but it's definitely it's definitely a lot of fun to watch. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. It's like a good, you know. But, um, like people talk about popcorn movies. This is the perfect example of what a popcorn movie should be. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Uh, I, I watched A Knight's Tale for the first time. Uh Directed oh, by Brian Helgeland and uh, starring Heath Ledger, the late mm. Heath Ledger, and also Shannon Sossaman, who <clears throat> is up there for me. The only- <laughs> Anytime she bites her lip, I am just, oh my God, I'm so into you right now. <laughs> She's very, very attractive. Yes. This, is, this is the only movie I've ever walked out of. I know. I, I was thinking of you the whole time I watched it. Because um, it was bad or because... Something else. He, he couldn't handle the people singing "We Will Rock You" at the beginning. Yeah, I was like, "No, I'm not into this." I was, and then I watched "Mummy," the "Mummy 2, which was equally horrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, you um, didn't stay for the Bowie, man. That's true, Bowie. Uh, I'll probably see it. Golden, yeah. golden years. Golden years. I was like 16. So. You're, uh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll just tell you. you just avoid it at all costs. You're gonna hate this movie. Okay. Uh, I mean, this is like if you didn't like Romeo and Juliet. Like that's the kind of area we're playing. Oh, in here. okay. And it's not that it's it's not as challenging as something like Romeo and Juliet in that it's you know they're not using like period language or anything, <laughs> but it's definitely like super anachronistic on purpose because it's trying to you know I, well the, the director claims that he uh, replaced all this period music with pop music because he wanted to show how he said it would be confusing if the crowds are reacting the way they're reacting to period music even though in in real life that's how they would have reacted to it they would have cheered like it was rock music yeah mm. but they heard music for the first time right in exactly, years. exactly. <laughs> yeah but it would have been strange for us to experience that or something so i mean i, I understand that now the thing i didn't understand about this movie was when you described it and you said the people were singing we will rock you at the beginning i always had it in my head that like there was a band like a medieval band on stage playing we will rock you and the people were singing it and I was, and when it started, the people are doing the do 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 do, and they're doing it like with their hands on the yeah. thing, and they are singing "We Will Rock You," and I was like, "That's kind of you know, okay, that's what Jonathan said." Like I expected this, but I expected the whole movie to be like that. I expected it to be like a musical, essentially, of like yeah. like rock music, but in the Middle Ages, and it's really not. It's that that's the only time that really happens outside of the there's the the scene with Golden Years. There you can see Heath Ledger mouthing the words sometimes when he's dancing, but. And they start dancing very modernly throughout the thing. But um, 
or in a very modern way. I don't know if modernly is a word, but in a very modern <laughs> way. Uh, but aside from that, it's really not a, um, like a straight musical. Like I really thought it was going to be like kind of more like a like Rock of Ages or something. Right. You know? But it's more of just a like a I don't know. It's like a romantic action or kind of a PG thirteen romantic action movie that just happens to be set in the Middle Ages, and yeah. it's not <laughs> it's not great by any stretch of the imagination, but it is entertaining. And it's uh, quite funny at times. Paul Bettany. Have you seen this movie? Yes. Paul Bettany is very As Chaucer. Funny. Yeah, he is he fantastic. Plays, he plays Jeffrey Chaucer, and he's very hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he's also, I mean, yeah, this I don't, all the acting is pretty solid. Uh, I'd say he's the standout. And uh, Rufus Sewell just being his, like, typical, like, just super villainy, slimy self. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty good. Heath Ledger's fine in it. Uh, Sam and Sausman, I don't think she's that great of an actress, but she's definitely great to look at. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't know. It's a fun, it's a, it's a fun enough movie. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest it for you. I don't think you'd like it at all. And it is two hours and 12 minutes, I think, which is insane. Like they could have easily shaved off half an hour of this movie. I think like that was always my biggest problem with the movie. The fact that like, like towards the end with like, uh, Rufus Sewell's character, like it gets like kind of murky and like it just goes on a little too long right yeah and his whole like the whole thing's like you know he's <clears throat> pretending to be a knight and you know at some point he's going to be found out yeah yeah and then he is but it doesn't happen till like 30 minutes of the film are left and it's like so we've been, we've been with him for like an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes maybe mm. and he finally they figure out he's not okay thank god he's they figured out he's not a knight now we can like resolve this thing yeah yeah and it still goes on for another half hour you know it's like just let's fucking fix this you know yeah I don't know, but I think the writing is actually pretty solid. The some of the dialogue is actually a lot more clever than I would have imagined it to be. And Brian mm-hmm. Helgeland is a very you know good writer, very uh, experienced. He's written a lot of a lot of shit, and uh, he wrote and directed Payback. I don't know if you remember the Mel Gibson movie, and um, he wrote Mystic River, and which, which I don't like, but I mean you know it's not because of the writing, uh, and a lot of other stuff. Hang on, I'll look him up real quick. But uh, you know, all in all, I'd say this movie was. You know, fairly solid. I'm not mm. looking forward to like rewatching it anytime soon, but it's definitely, you know, worth a shot if you're if you're just looking for something disposable to put on and watch, right? Like we were last night because I what we watched Highway and Nicole and I were so disappointed in Highway <laughs> that she was like, I don't even know if I'm going to watch anything else because what if it's worse than this? <laughs> and then she suggested this movie because she really likes it. He wrote, yeah, he wrote a uh, L.A. Confidential, uh, oh. Man on Fire, Mystic River. Uh, payback, The Postman, Conspiracy Theory. Damn. So, I mean, he's written a lot of stuff, and I mean, he's a pretty solid writer, but I'd say this is some of his better writing, if I dare I say. Ah. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched, I gave it a three. That might have been one of the last movies that uh, I saw at Tinseltown. Oh, wow. Yeah. Tinseltown. Tinseltown's Tinseltown. been, been gone for a while. Yeah. <laughs> you got another one? Uh yeah, a uh, little earlier I watched Jabberwocky, rewatched Jabberwocky. Um It's pretty funny. Looks, you know, looks like a Gilliam movie. I mean, you know, all of all of Gilliam's movies look like Gilliam movies except for like uh, I don't know, maybe maybe Brothers Grimm, 12 Monkeys I think has has his style but it's definitely not as like uh you know, not as such as some uh, of those yeah. like Brazil or something Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, some of his movies are more super stylized than others. Yeah. I think the biggest problem with Jabberwocky, it needed a better writer. Um, like, cause who's, who's the writer? Charles, uh, Hint, Gilliam and Charles Alverson. And like Alverson was apparently like a 
novelist and like he doesn't even have a bibliography on Wikipedia. So mm. I guess he didn't really write that much. And this was the only movie he had any, any involvement with. Um, but yeah, if, if it had a better, better writer, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of funny moments. Uh, like your majesty, what part is giving you difficulty? Um, and like, uh, Michael Palin trying so much to, you know, win the affections of this girl who literally could not care if he lives or dies. And, you know, like she accident, she like starts to eat a rotten potato and then throws it out the window and he catches it. Oh, you do care. And, <laughs> um, I gonna go ahead and put criterion over a little bit. Like the only time I had seen Jabberwocky was on like a really bad, like VHS copy that was like, it had been watched many, 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 many times, but they did a great job of restoring this. And like, you know, it look it looks grainy. It looks grimy. You know, it's, it's kind of supposed to, cause that's what Gilliam was really into, especially in the seventies. But it still looks really good. So, three out of five. Sweet. Well, I just have one uh, th- more thing, and it's it's not movie related, but I watched the um the first the two season the two episode premiere of Roseanne season ten. Oh, you, oh. Do you check this out? I have not checked um, it out. It's yet. on Hulu if you're interested. Um, I'm a big Roseanne fan. Uh, the original show. Um, I Is like it? I like Roseanne. I like. Jackie, I like all the characters pretty much. And um Angry Dan. Angry Dan is just the best. Like anytime Dan gets upset and like breaks something or throws something, <laughs> it's just amazing. He actually has a moment in the first episode of this show where he does that. Holy shit. Where he throws something. It's not quite as effective as some of the, the best Angry Dan moments, but <clears throat> um the real, I, I, propaganda. I will say, well, I'll get into it, but okay. I I will say uh I liked it a lot. Like I thought, cool. it was, I thought it was very funny, and uh, weirdly enough, standout performance from Sarah Gilbert, who plays Darlene. Mm. She's great in it. Like she cries at one point. It's very effective, and mm. like, like, and I, as far as I know, from the, I watched a like Inside Edition or something about the making of the reboot this this season ten, and uh, it's all her doing. Like she's the one who wanted to make it happen, and oh, wow. so she went to the network and she went huh. to Roseanne, and she was the one who like kind of orchestrated it. But she's fantastic in it, and um, the politics are, I guess, the big like. Th- I mean, it's. I'm, I don't know if you guys have read, but it's been like massively successful, like twenty million viewers or something. So it's like they've already renewed it for season eleven, and uh, yeah, wow. and uh, there there are definitely uh, political things in it, um, like Roseanne and well, mainly Roseanne, actually only Roseanne. Roseanne is a Trump supporter in the in the show. Do they say Trump? They don't say Trump or okay. Hillary, but they talk about both of them a lot in the first, especially the first episode. Because huh. um, when the show starts, Roseanne and Jackie haven't talked in like a year and they haven't talked since the election. And it's because they disagreed on who the candidate was and she voted for Trump and Jackie voted for her. Well, you, you assume she voted for Hillary and uh, she's wearing a nasty woman T-shirt and a pussy hat and everything. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's supposed to be very funny and everything. And they have these kind of vicious arguments in the first episode and they spent a lot of time on it actually like surprisingly uh them kind of both defending their positions about why trump is bad or why trump is good 
without ever, obviously, they don't say Trump or Clinton or anything. And it's revealed that she, uh, in the second episode, I think, is when they kind of bury the hatchet a little bit. And it's revealed that uh, Jackie voted for Jill Stein because she <laughs> said she and she blamed Roseanne. She's like, you got my head so filled up with all this nonsense that I didn't know what was true and what wasn't. So I ended up voting for Jill Stein and I helped I helped him get elected. So, like, you know, that kind of stuff. I understand Roseanne's, like, reasoning of, like, wanting the character Roseanne and the Connors to be Trump supporters because they're, like, super blue-collar. It's realistic. Yeah, yeah. it yeah, makes yeah, sense yeah. that they would be. Um, and her reasons of, like, she's like, he was talking about creating jobs and shaking things up, and that's what, you know, it sounded good. It's not like any time in the show, it's not like, it's not at any point where she's like, you know, he's doing a great job now. They, they, they're real careful not to, like, defend anything that he's doing now. That's pretty even though even though as far as I know <laughs> yeah. as far as I know Roseanne herself is an actual Trump supporter but um it's 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 contained to just Roseanne and Jackie so Dan doesn't say anything about politics Darlene doesn't yeah say I can imagine him, John uh, right right being. so no nobody and and well I mean Sarah Gilbert's a an out lesbian and yeah. she's very liberal yeah. so and I think it's a good dynamic for the show though I mean no it makes yeah, it's yeah, good yeah. I I don't, I don't have a huge problem with it I do I do hope that it kind of like creeps back into the background of the things because i mean now that they've kind of dealt with it and they're buried the hatchet it's like i don't want i don't want every episode to be about yeah. you know trump and right. how much you hate trump or how much you love trump or whatever like it's just one small part of a greater and there's a lot of like sarah gilbert's kid in the show is a boy who's like really into wearing women's clothing mm-hmm. and so there's like the the whole you know like he's not transgender but they kind of ask him about that and they deal with that in the first couple of episodes. Mm. So there's a lot of like topical shit going on, which I guess is kind of like what they were doing back in the day too. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'd say it's really good. And I, like I said, it's, it's just, it's quite funny. I mean, there are a lot of really funny moments and I really didn't think it was going to be because just even from like the promos that they were releasing were really bad, really bad and like very not funny, kind of like cringe inducing, but, uh, yeah. Who's missing from the Uh, Mark uh, is Mark is missing because he's dead. Yeah. Everybody else is there. Oh, cool. Even Sarah Chalk is in it. Uh, she doesn't play Becky. She plays a woman who wants Becky to have her child, a surrogate. He wants Becky to be her surrogate. Even though Becky is in her 40s, <laughs> which they talk about they talk about in the show, but it's like like Sarah Gilbert's like, Darlene's like, am I the only one who's just going to have to say this? Like, you're, you're 43. Like, how are you all going to have a fucking kid? <laughs> it makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> but Lacey Gordonson, who plays who played the original Becky and who plays Becky in the reboot, she she does not look like she's forty three at all. She could pass for thirty. Wait, aren't, right. aren't both Becky's in this? Yeah, that's why I just said Sarah Chalk. Is oh, that's other, right. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, Sarah yeah. Chalk is the other Becky. Okay, yeah, the yeah. second Becky, and she plays this new character who's Got, trying to gotcha, have a baby okay, with yeah. Becky. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> and uh, DJ was in the military. And now he's back from Afghanistan. No, from Syria. Is that PTSD? No, oh. I haven't gone. He's barely, he's barely in it for the first two episodes, but he's got a black kid, and you don't understand why yet. But I, I, I know why, because I watched the baking of thing, but it's kind of a silly story. But anyway, but he, uh, I'll talk about it later when I see those episodes. But he, uh, yeah, he's got like a black daughter, and he's he was in Syria. And it's just weird. Like it's just weird. DJ is so bizarre looking now because he's like a he's like a man. Yeah, like, he's like our age essentially. You never really saw him. Yeah, that old. I mean, he was like How fifteen or sixteen yeah. when the show ended. I think so. I mean, he was like a teenager, but now he's like a you know like this man, and he's all tall, and he just looks bizarre. He just looks really fucking weird. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I'd say overall it's pretty pretty solid. Cool show. So I look forward to it. Cool. 
All right. Well, uh, if there's Frazier. If, if there's nothing, what? Bring back Frazier. I thought you said Brendan Fraser. Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> mummy too, right? right? Ghost of Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know. He's alive. Uh, no, he's not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's we're gonna, got a show now. He does. He's on. He's on trust on FX. <laughs> cool. uh, we're we're going to move on to our deep dive of Ingmar Bergman's Persona from 1966, starring B.B. Anderson and Leave Ullman. I only say leave because that's the way that Persona. Uh, Paul Schrader said it in his interview. Uh, so I guess it's Leave. Ullman, I don't know. I always said Liv Ullman, but I guess it's Liv Tyler. Uh, yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I guess she is. She's Swedish, so Liv maybe is like the way you pronounce it there. Yeah, but uh, Kevin, this was Kevin's pick, so you want to uh, give us a quick synopsis of it? Sure. So, um, Liv Liv uh, plays in, plays a stage actress who one day stops speaking, and she's hospitalized, and they realize that it's nothing really mental, mentally or physically wrong with her. So the doctor assigns her sister Alma, who's played by B.B. Anderson, and says, um, why don't you two just go and live in this cottage for a little while, you know, take a break from the modern world, and we'll see what that does for you. Now, just so, real, real quick, just to stop you in the middle there. I'm sorry. <laughs> just I'm a little confused. Uh-huh. They assign her sister Alma, right? Right. Not her sister, Alma, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. It sister sounded Alma. like you said oh, that I'm she sorry, was I'm her sorry. sister, and I was no. like, what are they sisters? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I miss a huge part of this movie? Well. Right. No, uh, no, okay. okay, just to make sure that yeah. we're, we're 100% clear. Okay. Yeah. So they're, they're living in this cottage by the sea, and they develop a very intimate relationship, and things start to get a little weird with, uh, with the two of them kind of mirroring each other and you know taking up each other's mannerisms and stuff like that right yeah solid solid synopsis kevin um well this uh, we've all seen this before yeah. right who wants to start what do you guys think of persona it's pretty good <laughs> <laughs> it went down for me a little bit uh i was i gave this a five you were creaming over this thing. Yeah, the first I time. loved it, but uh, I don't. Well, what's I, bringing it down this time? Just, I mean. just the. Uh, I don't know. Just the uh, great podcasting right now. <laughs> Quality just, uh, content. Just the dead silence. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Just <laughs> I, I just really can't think at all. Um, <laughs> okay, let's say what did you like about it the first time you saw it. Like the beginning, okay. Really, yeah. I love. It. But the now, like that's not as it's not as like shocking to me, or like not as like jarring as it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, some of the like the cra- I mean, obviously the crazy editing and shit. Like, you know, once you see it coming, I, I don't know. It just wasn't as affecting this time around. But uh, I mean, I still like it. It's nice and short, and it's uh, very it's, short. I love how short it is. Yeah. Uh, acting is fantastic. Um, Locations are great. Uh, it's good stuff. <laughs> All right, ratings or no, it's it's it's. I don't know what to really think about it. To be honest, it's a pretty deep story, and uh, yeah, you're not really sure what happens at the end. Really, maybe you could maybe we can get into that. But uh, at the uh, end, yeah, like what actually happens. But uh, I'm, tr- I'm 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 actually I just watched this last night. And I'm struggling to remember. Besides the ending coming back full circle to the beginning, 
Yeah. What's the last okay, thing well, that happens well, with the characters? Obviously, this movie is it's based on the the Jungian thing, like the the mask or the persona is a mask that you wear or whatever in everyday life. Right. Or, and their masks get peeled back or whatever, and you know it shows their true selves or whatever. Yeah. But uh, and you can see that in some of the imagery with the boy like touching the screen and stuff. You know, he's touching. Well, the when mask he's touching the the screen. I didn't notice this the first time I watched it, but their faces are fading in and out yeah. of each other. Yeah, like yeah. They're, they're both fading in, uh, yeah. out of focus. But like, yeah, I never, I never noticed that. But I thought because I always looked at the beginning as being the boy is like, it's like more of like a mother to son kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, and he was, and that was somehow related to that. Because there's but, the whole story with the actress. What, what's her name again? L- Leave whatever. Uh, yeah, Vogler. Oh yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. Vogler. Yeah, Vogler. Elizabeth. Yeah, she's not like really treating her son right or something, or like she's not really yeah giving him the love that, she, that he needs or something like that. Well, that that was the whole thing. Uh, like towards the end, where they kind of like their relationship ends, where like uh, Sister Alma explain you know explains to her and basically to the audience, like, you know, someone once told you that you lacked motherliness yeah. and you took it to heart and you had a kid and now you regret having that kid. And, you know, looking at the kid now, all you can, all you can feel for it is resentment because it, you know, in a moment of maybe, I don't know, weakness or in a moment of whatever you decided to totally change your life and, now you realize that's not what you want and you're stuck with this kid. Yeah. And it's interesting that she's an actress as well. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the fakest thing you could possibly be. I mean, talk about masks. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I mean, you can say, I mean, doesn't that strike you as like a pretty like heavy handed, like talking about mother, like that's a pretty heavy handed way of getting at what they're trying to getting at that mm, theme. Yeah. By making one of the characters an actress. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't, I won't like, I didn't, I don't dislike the movie. I think it's good, but it's also a movie where it's hard to say that it's good. It's like, or, or bad. It's just like, it's such a, it's such like the definition of what I think of when I, when I, or what I think of when I think of what layman to cinema think of when they think art film. Yeah. This is what it is. It's like the quintessential art. movie. Yeah. (laughs) Just like the like the those begin well, that beginning scene where it's like, you know, has to have to do with cinema, obviously. So we got the film starting, got the boy on the table. Fourth wall is already broken, right? <laughs> uh, rubbing on the picture of the woman, the cock splicing in, you know, that kind of rule. Briefly, <laughs> see, I don't stuff like that. Like the whole the whole beginning, I think it's it's cool from, from like a visceral standpoint to yeah. me. Like I think it's like that's really cool, but. Then I think about like when this movie came out and the it's its connection to like the French New Wave yeah. and how obviously inspired it is by Godard especially and like it just kind of like takes did a you little watch, bit away from it. I was for like, me. Did you watch the Paul Schrader? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He talks about that. And I'm he just talks like, about that. Yeah, and he's yeah. he's talking about it like it's a good thing. Like he's like, this is you know the, the they French, started it. They started. He kind of exactly. It. I don't. Like, I don't know if I, I agree. Yeah, it feels very like he was experimenting with this method of filmmaking. Yeah. And I don't know how successful it is. I don't think it's unsuccessful, but it's definitely nothing like to me. This doesn't come close to anything that like, not anything that Godard did, but like, but like Vivre Savi or like, uh, 
And I think it's better than Breathless, but like, but I mean, there, you know, there are some films that he did that are truly like, like Weekend. You know, this doesn't come close to well, something like Weekend. You know, Weekend is insane. <laughs> I know, but I was saying, like, uh, if we're talking about, th- you know, I think th- this is really successful, though, for for me personally. Like the psychological aspect is like that's not in Godard, like I, or at least what I've seen, like at all. Oh, I don't agree with that. I, I mean, well, give me an example. I mean, in my life to live, there's a lot of psychological issues in that movie. Yeah, but not to this extent. Like, this is like. I mean, this movie is well, yeah, not to this like is a... like Lynchian almost. Like, it's it's like <laughs> it's like I don't know what's going on. See, like, I don't see that. I don't see how this is Lynchian. Really? I mean, outside of like the the obvious connection, well, I think it's more like Lynch is Bergman esque. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't see how. I don't see how Lynch is Bergman-esque, I guess. I, I, like, out, you don't see the... Like, outside the, of the obvious connection of, like, there's two women just like there are in Mulholland Drive. Or yeah, but the way it's set up and, like, the, the repetition of, like, scenes and, like, the confusion. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just... I mean, I like see... The, like the part where, like... Like how it's a puzzle box movie, I guess, sort yeah. of. But, like, beyond that, I don't really find that it's that puzzling. Like... It is in a way like there's definitely like a surface story that you can pay attention to, and then there's like other shit going on beneath the surface. It's a lot more challenging, uh, and like the the whole Jungian thing that you're talking about, or any kind of like psychological or philosophical elements to it, are definitely not like you know they're not explored or they're not explained. They're explored. They're not explained at all, and that is Lynchian, I guess. But I don't find this movie terribly surreal at all. I mean, most of it's taking place in a in a very like pretty solid reality minus the dream sequence and then the beginning and the old and the ending yeah i mean it's taking place in a reality where you know these two women clearly exist and they're in this uh this house together and i and, I, and there are parts of it that kind of defeat that where it's like obviously the whole all the stuff in the hospital is very strange because it's clearly like they're not in a they're not in a hospital they're in like a set it's obviously a set yeah you know, like that scene where she's watching the TV about Vietnam and everything. Mm. Like, that's not a hospital room. That very clearly looks like a stage, yeah. sound stage. Kind of looks like a meat locker to me. Cause yeah, like, yeah. Cause yeah. Like the door yeah. is just like this. It's a meat locker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. I just mean like there's no decoration on the wall. Yeah. There's like nothing anywhere. It's just a, like a sterile room with a bed and a TV. Yeah, yeah. And it just was like, I mean, obviously, you know, that's an aesthetic choice and it's not that's not taking place in a reality but the stuff at the house all seems like it seems like yeah. a, it's a house and they're on the beach and you know it's on not, his island it's not weird at all yeah and like it's yeah it's where eight of his other movies have taken place you know yeah. it's like it's, well, to, to backpedal a little bit like her being an actress i think is actually really important because um like like i said like she's she's used to wearing these masks or whatever and she doesn't really know who she is or whatever i don't i don't know kind of going out there but uh she doesn't know who her real identity is or whatever and like towards the end of the movie like she like sucks the blood of like yeah the other yeah Yeah. and i was like i i kind of like made this connection where like maybe she's like a vampire no it like it almost (laughs) is like no it almost is like vampiric it's like she's uh vampiric bloodlust yeah she she's like she she finds this other she's with this other girl who has you know obviously has a personality she has a life she Mm -hmm. has you know deep secrets she has you know she has everything yeah and she's like sucking the the essence from her so she yeah. can regain her like identity. Sure. And then she leaves her, you know, devoid of identity. I don't know. Cause that, that's what it feels like at the end is like, she's back to acting or whatever. And the other girl, BB, BB Anderson. BB. Yeah. Anderson. She's just like fucked. I don't know. She just seems like she's dead inside at the end. Like, I don't know. That's what I'm saying though. It's like, it, there's just like, 
it's just Lynch. I don't know. Like, I'm just thinking, like, Lynch has to be into this movie. I don't know. Like, it, it just, it felt. I'm not saying he's way. not. I'm not saying know. he's not inspired by it even. Yeah. I just don't, like, personally, it feels like. This I movie mean, just feels way deeper than anything Godard did. This and that's, sound, be, that's, like, offensive to, like, everyone I know. But, like, no, it's, it's not. It's no, like, I, think, I think most like people would agree with you. Deep I think me, Persona I is considered a greater yeah. film than. I mean, in the canon of cinema, I'm sure this is like definitely more important to most people. Like Godard than... seems very grounded. Like he's just shooting reality. Like just like, you know. I mean, except well, Weekend is insane. But uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't see. I don't. I don't agree with that either, though, man. I mean, like, <laughs> uh, I mean, with Breathless, I could you could say that it's like documentary esque almost, sort of. But yeah. even that movie has like strange and surreal moments. Mm. And like, in my life to live, there's a lot of really bizarre moments in that. That's more Lynchian to me than, than really? this because it's like. You'll be you're following somebody who's in a reality, and then something completely strange and surreal happens. It's like when we were talking about yeah. Atlanta. It's like Atlanta's happening in Atlanta, and it's about guys who are rapping. It's like very like solid, uh, grounded reality. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, there'll be a scene with that like the guy on the bus who asked him to take a bite of his sandwich. Yeah, it's just like totally out of left field. And in a show like that, it's like it's more fun than it, than interesting. Like it's more it's interesting when Lynch does it because you feel like there's something behind it. When they do it in that show, I just feel like it's. No, they're trying to be like Lynch, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, but uh, yeah. Not that I don't like it. Still, it's still fun to watch. But, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I, uh, Persona just feels very like to me. It feels very like uh, intellectual and academic, like an intellectual academic version of what Godard does. That's, that's the perfect description. You know, it really yeah. Is. Like it's very and like talking about sterile before. Like it's extremely sterile. Like there's nothing going on in this movie that's visually. It's clinical. Stunning. It really is. Yeah, it's exactly. Like Clinical is a good you word. You have too, the. Yeah. You have the Jungian aspects, and it's like it just all makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. it's just yeah, psychological sterile like doctor room. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> like, and, just, <laughs> and just to be a hundred percent clear too, like I don't I don't dislike this movie at all. Like I. I think it does what it was trying to do very well. I think mm. it's doing it fine. Very and I, well. and I, I say like, you know, I'm not sorry. I rewatched it. I, 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 I hesitate to say I enjoyed it because it's such like a, it doesn't feel like a movie you're supposed to enjoy. It's like, <laughs> it's like when I asked my, our, our philosophy yeah, professor, I, mean, I said, I said, have you seen the Turin horse? He's like, yeah. And I was like, Oh, did you like it? He goes, I don't know if it's really a movie you like or not. It's yeah. just like something yeah. that it is and you watch it. And it happens, and then you can talk about it later. And it's like, yeah, it's what Persona is. Like, it's not a movie you like. It's just like, it's just like a, it's like a study. You have to. It's just like a movie to study. Like that's all. Like that's what it seems like. It seems like it. It seems like built for academics. For academics to parse apart, and for people I, like Paul Schrader to look at and say, yeah. this is important in the history of cinema <laughs> and the history of cinema He's not and a- the Nouvelle Vague. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? He just looks like he should be like selling pizza. <laughs> He's like, I like, this dude is talking about persona. It's yeah. so weird. I love him. Um, uh, yeah. He's the, he's the greatest. Uh, yeah. I agree with the, everything you said. Oh, yeah. great. So, uh, <laughs> it's, it's very <clears throat> academic, but you know, it's, it, it's great. I, I like it a lot. Cool. Um, what do you think about it, Kevin? We've got you. This is your pick. I mean, what do you, what do you feel about yeah, it? Yeah. So like, um, <laughs> No, it's fine. I mean, it's a good conversation. Just... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to interrupt the flow. Uh, yeah, like, before I watched it again, I actually was, like, looking up some stuff and, like, seeing, you know, like, um, stuff about, like, gender and sexuality and vampirism and all that kind of stuff. And then, like, I decided um, I don't really want to read in, you know, that much into it. Yeah. And and so, like, I, I just wanted to just take the movie, like, as it's presented 
and like I think it looks amazing. I like a lot of the the like light and shadow and the contrast, especially in black and white. And like I was saying before, Criterion does a great job on their restorations, dude. Yeah, and, you know, and I was and I was saying great. it was sterile before, but there is that one shot. Uh, speaking of the lighting, that one shot where she's staring like sort of almost into the camera and the, the lights dim really, really, really slowly. Yeah. yeah. That shit ruled. That was, that was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, like I I remembered liking this movie quite a lot the first couple of times I saw it and I realize now why I like it so much. I just love the the frankness of the relationship between these two women and how they just get so intimately twined in a non-sexual way and like the fact that like bb anderson you know pretty much like the first day there's talking about the orgy that she had Mm -hmm. and her abortion and then um she seems like she's never i mean obviously she's never told anyone but she seems like she doesn't have an outlet for that yeah, and, yeah, and she finally finds this mute person to just like say whatever she, she wants. can't tell anybody. Yeah, no. yeah, she's like uh, you know, <laughs> she she's not capable of speech anymore. But uh, tell her, but I yeah, so fifteen year old. But Sketchy. yeah, uh, and yeah, I I love the fact that like they do the the scene where Sister Alma is explaining to her why she what to uh, Elizabeth why she's the way she is. And, you know, doing the whole speech looking at B.B. Anderson and the whole speech looking at Liv Ullman and getting both their reactions as they're telling the story. Mm. I thought that was really great. And, yeah, just the um, just the strange atmosphere. Like uh, when uh, Alma is sleeping and, like, uh, Elizabeth, like, comes in. And, like, you can kind of, like, sear through like the glass, ghost. and it's really ethereal. Yeah. And when they, like, you know, they're, like, looking into the camera, and it's it's like they're looking into a mirror, but, you know, you never actually see that mirror, and they're just looking into the camera, and they're just moving their heads and looking at their hair, and, you know. Um, close-up city. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and the... Uh, like the lots of close-ups. Yeah. Close-up <laughs> <this>, city. <laughs> <laughs> the split, the split screen with their two faces, like how how similar they are, but how dissimilar. They're just showing off at that point. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. Birdman. Uh, like that was <laughs> the funny. Look at me. <laughs> well, that was the funny thing too. Like uh, I, I don't remember if I've seen the movies that like led up to Persona, but I feel like this, like it's kind of like you know he does these kind of. Not like run of the mill movies, but like more more on an even keel. And then you get Persona, where it's like just you know he's just off the rails, and you know the whole thing at the beginning and at the end, and the way they come back full circle, and um and I, I like the fact that you know I like the story and how great the acting is. I think they both do an amazing job. Yeah. And like, I like the fact that like, if you wanted to read in any deeper, you know, you can obviously, cause a lot of people have, but if you just want to stay with a surface story, it's still, it's still very compelling. And the real question, of course, that we're kind of beating around the bush here, but I mean, who's, who's hotter leave Allman or BB Anderson, BB Anderson. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going with Kevin on that one. I you am going to man? say I am a Liv Ullman man. I mean, she is she's good looking, and yeah. but I will say that uh, BB Anderson's hair goes a long way for me. The the short haircut, as we were talking about last yes. last week, yes, she just looks like she'd take care of you. You know, yeah. <laughs> she looks like a badass. Yeah, she's putting on the coat at the end when they're like leaving. Yeah, she looks, she looks like a dude. <laughs> you love that. Uh, <laughs> no, she but looks, I, but she's I, cool. I th- I think um, we all need to agree that. Obviously, the most attractive person in the entire movie is Gunnar Bjornstrand. The doctor? No, the uh, <laughs> okay. the husband. Oh, the husband. <laughs> God. <laughs> yeah, he's good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> For like the minute and a half that he's in the movie. What's uh, is this? Where does this stand in your in your Bergman uh, top five or whatever? I mean, is, uh, this, is this high up for you or? I. Uh, on rewatch, this is still a five out of five for me. Mm. Um, I need I need to go back and watch a lot of Bergman. Um, actually, have an idea for my for my next pick. More Bergman. Yes. Are you serious? But, yeah. But um, uh, that's fun. But yeah, I'll I'll re- I'll reveal it later. Okay. <laughs> I've yeah. only seen. I haven't seen much at all. Yeah. I've seen Wild Strawberries. Wild Strawberries ago. is really good. And this, and I need to, I need to watch Seven, Seven Seal. Seal. Yeah, I've seen that as well. Well, I need to watch it again. Oh, and uh, Virgin Spring, Virgin Spring as well. Yeah, yeah. You need to watch Fanny and Alexander. I'm telling you, I want to see it through. Fanny a glass and Alexander darkly. is really good. Have you seen that? What is it? Through a glass darkly. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Is it good? It's, it's. I, I feel similar to this movie about it. Yeah. Actually, I'd say it's. I'd say I appreciate this one a little bit more than that one. Hmm. Either you guys see uh, Cries and Whispers? I have seen that. Yeah. Okay. I I I. Didn't dislike Cries and Whispers, but it's a lot like this one, too. It's very, like, there's a lot of, like, metaphor going on and pretty, like, heavy-handed, like, uh, visual metaphors, like the the use of red. All the red, and like yeah. That. And the fades to yeah. red and all the red carpet and all that And kind of also stuff. another connection with the broken glass. Like, yeah. there's a broken glass in this movie, and in uh, that movie there's a woman who puts broken glass in her vagina. Mm. So it's pretty fucked. <laughs> yeah. It's and it's funny. also a female-centric yeah, it's funny too. Like I think like Bergman definitely has this like reputation as the you know auteur art house director, but a lot of his stuff like yeah, you can kind of read into it, but it's not necessarily he's out to make like art house movies. I think the movies that he's that he's like most famous for. I mean, like Seven Seal. I think like people it strikes people as an art house film, but it's like yeah. so it's so trying to be a comedy. You know, it's like such a weird, I don't know. I just like when I watched it, I was expecting something really challenging and bizarre. And it yeah. was just like, like almost broadly comic at points. And I was like, this is just weird. Yeah. Like what a weird choice. And for everybody's to worship this movie so much. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can see from a certain perspective, like, I think it's, you know, some of the acting is a little stilted and like, uh, Max von Sydow actually, actually talks about that. It's like, like I hate my acting in there. It's like so rhetorical. Like I'm on, like I'm on stage at a theater. Yeah. That's what it and, seems uh, like. Yeah, and like um, uh, Peter Cowie, the Bergman scholar, he was talking about how like you know how American or like English speaking audiences will like, oh, the dialogue is so great, you know, and it's like you know, but you read the subtitles. Yeah. You're not necessarily listening to <laughs> no, 100%, how, yeah. they, how they are delivered. You know, it doesn't even matter. Yeah. It's like, I was talking to Jonathan about this once before. It's like when you watch a French film or an Italian film or a Swedish film, 
somebody speaking in subtitles, especially European cinema from that time, yeah. like they'll they'll be saying the most like poetic philosophical mm-hmm. things that you would never get away with if you were saying them in English, right. but they sound fine. Soccer they're would language. be just uh, awful. Exactly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you don't even care because you don't know what the inflections yeah. are supposed to be or what they're saying. You don't know what they're saying. You're yeah. just reading it off the page. And when you read it yeah. off the page, it's a very different experience than hearing it. Yeah. So when you hear them speak Russian, it's like, well, I guess they're doing a good job of acting. I don't know. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Cause at that point <clears throat> you're really just going off of uh, like their, body language and their facial right you know stuff and all that so yeah i think you know i agree i definitely think that that's a definitely a a, a thing that happens i don't know <laughs> yeah yeah definitely uh would you would you would you call this movie pretentious um I wouldn't. It's just a word that slipped into my mind while it, I was it, watching it, it. It's I was funny like I, is this movie pretentious i think, I don't I think know. yeah I think you could act easily say it is because it's he's obviously borrowing from another place mm-hmm. and it's yeah whether he does it justice or not I think is is where you would you would insert pretentiousness okay. right yeah because like, I would say no and I would say and I say the, the <laughs> reason he, I think he does a, a good job so it's not and the reason <laughs> yeah. for him doing it also it's like if there's a reason to shoot this movie uh, borrowing from that style. I mean, is it and a crime to be inspired? You know what I mean? No, like, it's not a yeah. crime to be inspired at all. But yeah. I mean, it is a, it, it's not a crime to do anything, but I'm saying like, it's a, it's just, if he was inspired by the French new wave and made a film that was, you know, completely devoid of anything interesting to say philosophically or psychologically, then that, I'd say that would be a crime. It'd just be like, well, what's the point of making the film this way? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And interestingly enough, I mean, most of the French New Wave stuff starts off and it's about criminals, you know, or about yeah, yeah. Uh, lower rungs of s- prostitutes and criminals that's and a, things yeah, like that. Yeah, that's this. what it's I was like, trying to say earlier. It's like it, it, it always just feels like it's very grounded. Like it's not. That's true. But I'm not, saying like it's but it's grounded in the way that, you know, like, yeah, they're, the, the characters are real people. But the things that are happening to them, things that are coming out of their mouths are not real things. Yeah. That would happen or come <laughs> yeah, out of their mouth. Yeah. Except for, I mean, like in, I mean, <sighs> Breathless even has a little bit of that. But I mean, obviously, French New Wave isn't like they weren't trying to be surreal first and foremost. I don't mm. think, I mean, it's not like they're, you know, breathless is a very like normal kind of a movie. Like, especially if you watch it now, like having seen other things that were made now or recently, yeah, like it doesn't seem that strange at all. I'm sure it was very strange when it came out. Uh, and then like, like the 400 blows is like, mm. it's not weird in the least. Like, Ew. it's just like a normal movie about a kid. Like <laughs> there's nothing like strange about that movie at all to audiences today yeah so i mean yeah from that perspective it's like bergman's truly doing something that's like way out there but then you get you gotta look at goddard's other stuff you know so you'll hit like later stuff whenever he gets like more into the crazy and the surreal and the strange with something like weekend or with uh my life to live or you know uh even what the fuck is that made made in the usa or I mean, a lot of it just, and like when he started to be more influenced by like Boonwell and stuff, it was like, mm-hmm. that's when his shit got bizarre. Uh, I mean, even if you look at Boonwell, like his stuff is really weird yeah. coming before Persona. Yeah. So, I mean, she, like obviously Bergman oh, yeah. is influenced by that as well, I'm sure. And yeah. then I was, I was talking to, I was talking to Al, I mean, Allison, I'm sorry. I was talking to <laughs> Nicole about uh, this movie and, and Bergman. And I was saying like, you know, Her- Herzog doesn't like Bergman. Like he said negative things about his films and like mm. how they're like slow and pretentious and boring. And it's like, 
that's for me it's not like a situation where like i worship herzog so much that if he says bergman's trash bergman's trash you know <laughs> but it is but it is something that's in the back of my mind that i'm thinking about it's like well does he have a point there like it's like if that was said by somebody you know by my film professor in college i probably wouldn't give it i wouldn't even give a fuck because it's, like, oh, it's just your opinion you know but if it's herzog it's like it's herzog's opinion I mean, like one know? of his favorite <laughs> movies is freaks so it's like I don't well, know. I haven't seen Freaks. Have you seen Freaks? <laughs> no, but I'm sure it's I, fucking hor- awful. Why? I, I, I mean, I'm sure it's like like disturbing. Todd, Todd Browning. That's what, that's what I mean. Like, I, yeah. I, I'm sure it's it's not disturbing in the it's least. It's not at all. No, okay. I've I've seen Freaks. It's it's very like, you know, like the thing. Like, I think the thing I took from that movie most is like they're trying to like. I mean, they do an okay job of trying to paint the people in the circus as like real people with real feelings. But they try to exploit them as much as possible. But still, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's a product of its time. I mean, yeah, yeah. For, for sure. You can't really blame um, them for that. I don't think too much. I mean, you can not a little bit, but like yeah, I mean, yeah, Herzog in pretentiousness. I'm not it, saying it, he's he's, yeah, he's I walking agree. that tight. Uh, I agree. That high wire as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I'll say this. Okay, for me, The Virgin Spring is my favorite Bergman film. Now, I have not seen a lot of Bergman films. Okay, I haven't seen Wild Strawberries, and I haven't seen yeah. uh, fucking you know. I don't know the magician. Even I, I own it. I haven't watched it yet. Okay, so uh, I haven't seen the I haven't seen the Silence or Winter Light. I hear they're great. Uh, uh, but and like I haven't seen a lot of French French New Wave and like the stuff that I have seen, I haven't really liked. Well, there so. you go. But I'm saying like to me, like and I, I, I like you know obviously I've seen a lot more Herzog than I've seen Bergman. Hmm. But to me, Herzog has a like from what I've seen much more consistently high batting average oh, than well, Bergman. Well, I can't for me personally like three Bergman films, but <laughs> Herzog feels like he's not derivative of anything. He feels like he's somewhat like original and I'm not saying that Bergman's not, I, I'm just saying like persona feels a little derivative of, it feels a very derivative of something that's coming. That's not world. a huge, but, that's not a huge problem for me, it's it's just, but, it, but it's just something it is. It's just like, obviously he's we're comparing from... an entire director's filmography. No, I'm just, no, <laughs> Still one movie. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that's just one movie. But I'm saying, uh, you know, I can't think of many Bergman movies that I've seen that are just like, wow, that was mind blowingly good. Well, you have to take it like this is like what is this like middle Bergman? This is like or like early because I, I have no idea when he started. This is I this mean, is middle. I'd say like middle started in the, like the 50s. Yeah, like this is more early like, to mid 50s. Yeah, like mid to late. So you'd have to compare it to something like, like middle Herzog, which is like. Well, like the 80s? <laughs> yeah. Fitzcarraldo or something. Uh, Maybe a little after that. Uh, Lessons of Darkness. Well, I mean, okay, well, let's go back to the beginning, though. If I could compare, like, Summer summer with Monica or something to, yeah, to Aguirre. Like the... I mean, there's, like, no comparison because yeah. Bergman started out doing very, like, conventional stuff. I mean, yeah. much more conventional than Her- Herzog started doing crazy art films at the beginning, you know? Mm. So then they're just they're vastly different filmmakers. But I just like yeah. Herzog seems like he's got way more balls than not only Bergman but like most filmmakers. And again, we're only comparing them because of the comment. I, absolutely, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. it sounds random as fuck. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I remember I, I used to go to this uh, this movie showing at at uh, St. Elmo's Church on at LSU, and uh, there was a guy who went named Aaron. You know Aaron Muse. Yeah. And uh, he was he was super into Bergman, and he was like. Uh, I, I I wore I had my Herzog shirt back then. I used to have a, his face on a shirt. And I used uh-huh. to wear it, and uh, he goes, "Yeah, you're probably like like I'm into Bergman, like you're into Herzog." 
And I was like, yeah, I guess. I was like, I was thinking about that because we had just watched Cries and Whispers, I think. Why not oh, okay. both? And I was, well, I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, I don't know if I've seen that much Hurt Song, man. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I like like three of his movies. I, and I made this shirt. shirt yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't know how, how deep I am yet, but now, yeah, now like, I've watched John a lot looked, of his shit. But like, John looks down and like instead of Herzog's face looking back at him, it's the cover of Unknown Pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> am I a poser? <laughs> I, I wouldn't have that shirt. Uh. But uh, oh, yeah, no. I don't know. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, yeah, if we're talking I mean, about Persona. Like I said, I like Persona, or I, you know, I. It was, it's good. Hmm. I don't dislike it. I don't think it's. It doesn't doesn't blow me away personally. But I can see where it would blow someone away. I can see how it blows you away. It and, blew uh, me away on first watching because sure, yeah. I had no. That's the whole reason I. I, I didn't mean, know anything about it. Yeah, because yeah, like this is this is definitely one of those kinds of movies where you have to say like, okay. I'm not in college anymore. I'm a little more grown up. Is this, is this still as good? Right. Cause you know, there's, you know, there's movies that you see as a teenager where you're like just getting into movies like and, highway. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, then there are movies, you know, boondock saints. Yeah. My favorite movie Jesus. of all time. when I was like 20. <laughs> I'm really yeah. scared to rewatch last days. I've been thinking about that recently. Oh, <laughs> Hey, if you want to, you, you say the word. I'll rewatch last day. Thinking about picking it. Hey, uh, do it. Thinking about it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> do the whole thing. Do the trilogy. Do the trilogy. We'll watch the trilogy. The trilogy. I'm into oh. the death trilogy. Okay. You seen all these? No, I haven't seen any of them actually. Wait, are you serious? I think that's cements it right there. <laughs> no. Oh man, that's cements it right. I mean, come on. Talk about derivative though. <laughs> I mean. You, no, you no, no, any, no, 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 watch any Bellatar and then watch. No, 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 no. Look, and we're going to get in. Okay. It's like shot for shot at one point. I don't even want to talk about this because we'll get into it on the show, but derivative is it's one thing. Tumbleweed, it's no. <laughs> derivative is it's one like thing. Doing the same thing much, much better is a different thing. <gasps> I'm not going to lie. Uh, I mean, I haven't, I've seen Damnation, I think. Yeah. And I tried to watch. I thought you watched Shaden Tango. No, not all the way through. Oh, I thought you did. Um,. If you so seriously not, call that, a, if you seriously say the death trilogy, I'm going to have to watch Satan Tango. <laughs> you know what we're talking about? Yeah, Gus Van Zandt. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, okay. That's not my pick. So. Well, well, I mean, right. it's not even your pick this week, so it yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Think about talking. it. Just think know. about what it. What are we talking about? <laughs> uh, well, uh, you know, I guess uh, ratings at this point. Yeah, star yeah. ratings. Uh, I get, I'll give it a four. Cool. I'm going four and a half. Five. Okay, solid, solid stuff. Um, I just real quick, there's no feedback this week exactly because uh, our friend John Ryan didn't have time to email us apparently, but he texted me from the airport and he said that uh, he said that he just wanted to tell me if, tell us a few things about uh, the brackage situation that we asked him about last week. If you remember, Jonathan had watched Dog Star Man uh, while listening to uh, William Basinski on vinyl. <laughs> Sounds no, so on, C- fuck- on CD. Oh, on CD. Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know how anyone slightly less lean. I don't know how anyone listens to that on vinyl because uh, they're like hour long tracks. You can't break up the tracks. No, no. I don't. I don't. Well, you it. have it though on vinyl. Yeah. No. Oh, you don't. It's like five hundred dollars. Oh, I thought you had that. No, I don't. For some reason, I, I don't understand how you can listen to that on vinyl though. Like you have to like, oh, this is the middle part. I'll go get up and go flip it over. Like that makes no sense. So first of all, he asked me not to read this text verbatim, so I won't. But he says about um, the actors pr- pronouncing Burgundy Burgundy, Kevin. <laughs> Right. He says that uh, that's he said that uh, people in New Orleans collectively pronounce it incorrectly, like it's like a, it's a thing that they do in New Orleans. Oh. They do pronounce it incorrectly on purpose. My apologies to Air Herzog. <laughs> it's 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 uh yeah, 
Um, he says he's only watched Brackage in silence. He doesn't watch it with any backing tracks. Well, <laughs> oh, fuck me. Uh, he didn't say it was bad, though. He just he didn't say anything about it. He just said, I've never watched it. I've only watched it in silence. Mm. Uh, he said he would not advise binging Criterion sets, which I don't even remember. I guess he's talking well, he about was going through all the Olympic uh, movies. He, he was going through the Brackage movies at one point, so I'm not oh, really okay. sure what he's talking about. But I don't know if we said something about binging those. I don't know. But I would go insane if I binged Brackage. Yeah, I don't know. I think anybody uh, would silence, binge Brackage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he'd probably have a stroke or something. Like There's yeah. so much light. Well, it, you definitely have some kind, <laughs> some form of epileptic yeah. fit. <laughs> he also said that um, he said he was burned out on Brackage now, and that's why he, he said he, he he would check out the synced soundtrack versions, which I don't even know what that is. I guess there's uh, yeah. people who put music to it or something. Uh, but uh, he's burned out, and he also said watch Primer and Upstream Color. I have Upstream Color on hold, so I will Primer be watching that is soon. It's amazing. Did you watch Primer yet? No. <laughs> I will. What are we Relax. doing here? Relax. <laughs> Can't wait. All right, well, See, uh, you didn't assign it, so now he'll yeah, never watch it. You fucked up, my friend. Blade gave me a migraine, <laughs> and then I didn't assign primer. You assigned Blade and said it gave you a migraine. <laughs> um, well, next episode is... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. If you don't have my number, you can't text me like John did, so email us your questions and comments at feedback at filmyakpodcast.com. Visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com we have a blog there we just put the first reform trailer up we have uh articles that we write sometimes so check it out um our next episode is going to be my pick and i like jonathan i'm at a bit of a crossroads with what i want to watch for next time i've got four different films and it all it all kind of depends on what you guys have seen and what you haven't seen okay so uh, we talked about united 93 i think after the episode last week right and you guys have seen this uh, I have not. I have not. Okay, so you guys haven't seen the 993, the Paul Greengrass film. Uh, Never Let Me Go, which is the... Uh, the the guy... other 9-11 movie. No. <laughs> no, Never Let Me Go is... Every a... time you say that, I think of the, the R-Pads movie. Oh, Remember Me. Yeah. Ah. Every time you say that. No, Never Let Me Go is a movie directed by Mark Romanek, uh, who did One Hour Photo. Uh, oh, okay. But it's like a sci-fi sort of uh, thing. It's got uh. Andrew Garfield and Carey Mulligan. Have you guys seen this? No. Okay, well, that's interesting. Those are both in. Uh, Match Point, cool. the Woody Allen movie. Right. You had seen this. No. No. Have not. You have not seen this. Um, unbelievable. And finally. We're on a film podcast. And finally. <laughs> none of them, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay because I've seen all these. <laughs> yeah. uh, I actually own all these movies. Um, yeah. Or Master and Commander, Far Side of the World. I am Master have, and Commander. I'm watching that. Have you seen it? No. Have you seen this? No. There's okay. captaining involved. I'm going to say. I'm into this. I'm going to say automatically <laughs> then. We're watching Master and Commander <laughs> Far Side of the World. And it's only because this movie just came onto my radar last night as something that we could talk about on the show. I haven't seen it since the theater. Uh-huh. It's Peter Weir. It's Paul Bettany, Ooh. who I loved in Ooh. Knight's Tale. And I was like, I got to rewatch Master and Commander. I almost rewatched it last night. And I was like, now you know what? We're doing this for the podcast. Is there awesome. captaining? There's, oh, there's, there's captaining. Cha- there's chain of command. Are you kidding? <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? It's insane. You're going to like this a lot. There are procedural scenes i don't even want to get into it i'm into it. there are <laughs> epic sea battles and shit it's, i'm so into that it's good and like paul, i'm not joking right now i'm i'm so into that right <laughs> into what sea captaining no just like it it, it, comes, it comes from star trek just the the ordering of people and battles like you know just like trading blows like, like when he speaks to that, uh that shit rules. zulu or jordy or whatever it is yeah Ramps to warp, yeah. Jordy. Shields up, you know? Good shit. Yeah. 
Oh, about Bank that. Left. Real quick, uh, I had texted you that uh, that article where. God, who was it? Oh, uh, Simon Pegg was talking about the new Star Trek. He had heard the, uh, thing, the Tarantino, Tarantino thing, and Tarantino said it was going to be about the one episode in Next Generation. Yeah, I forgot which one it was. Okay, but, uh, well, I will look it up yeah, real quick. Up. Yeah, because what what? Because I was going to ask you about that episode and what you thought of it. Um, so just oh, talk it was about something about like there being another enterprise like the, some kind of time rift or something it was the time travel thing i know for sure it's crazy though in in the series there's like this uh they come back to it later or maybe it was a yeah they come back to it later like there was a time rift at some point and then there's there ends up being two rikers and one riker stuck on like a, on a space station for like 10 years or something uh. so he's all like you know obviously upset when they find him again <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it creates this whole thing, and then in Deep Space Nine, like the I think the evil or not the evil, but the oh no, he is evil. The evil Riker comes back, and they think he's posing as the actual Riker, but he's actually like part of this rebellion against. It's crazy shit. Wow, <laughs> there's just so many connections. Are you? Is that for sure the episode? Though? I don't know if that's the episode. I can't find any information on it now. I had it. God damn it! I would scroll back on my text, but it's been. It's been a long time. Yeah, we like talked about this like two weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know why we never talked about it on the uh, uh. on the show. But um, <clears throat> uh, anyway, oh, uh, let's see. No, I can't find anything about it. We'll There's a the story of Quentin Tarantino coming and chatting to JJ. Motherfuckers. Let's see. <laughs> I can't find anything about it. But anyways, yeah, it was Star Trek movie. motherfuckers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Star Trek motherfuckers. Simon Pegg said he was he said something about it. It not it wouldn't necessarily be rated R uh, or something, but I don't know how that's I mean, I don't know. Who, who gives knows? a shit? PG. I don't I don't care. Well, I mean, I guess Star Trek. Who the cares? big the big thing was that Tarantino <laughs> said it had to be rated R. Oh, right. oh. Uh well, that's going to do it for our show. So next week we're going to be watching Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World directed by Peter Weir. And, uh, was that 2004? That is from Master and Commander. Far Side of the World's from 2003. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay. It won the Oscar for Best Cinematography. Nice. This is the Russell Crowe thing? Yep. Okay. Russell Crowe plays the captain, whose name is Jack Aubrey, and his trusted friend, the ship's surgeon. Is this Stephen based on Mac- any, any, any reality? Uh, I don't know that it's... It might be based on a... Let's see. Plot and characters were adapted from three novels in author Patrick O'Brien's Aubrey Maturin series, huh. which includes 20 completed novels. So hmm, interesting. three of them were made into this movie. But uh, I remember liking it quite a bit in the theater, uh, going in with not very high expectations because I was still in the heat of my like PG-13 is, is trash kind of thing. And Russell Crowe was hyped to... This is uh, yeah. this he was is a bit much in the early 2000s. This is coming yeah. off the heels of Gladiator. I'm pretty right, sure. I don't yeah. know what he had done between the two because it's about three years. Beautiful since. Mind. Yeah, he had yeah. done Beautiful Mind. That's right. That was 2001, I think, or yeah. 2002. Yeah. At that point, I was like, he he he's gross. I really he's liked gross. him in The Nice Guys. Yeah, he had done Proof of Life, oh, yeah. A Beautiful yeah, Mind, yeah, was, and then good in Master and Commander. So, uh, I liked but him. Then in the there's nice, his the masterpiece. Nice Body of Lies. Yeah. <laughs> I remember I watched an interview. Uh, I saw Body of Lies in the theater, and it's it's not good. But I no. but I remember watching an interview with him, and he had said he's very brazen and kind of a dick about it. He was like, "This is uh, Leonardo's best work that he's ever done," and you know I don't care what the awards say or what critics say about it. I don't give a shit. Like this is his best performance. 
Wow. Like such a weird, like such a, like obviously like a hyping mechanism. Like you right. need to see this movie because this is his best performance. Like such bullshit because it's just <laughs> such a forgettable performance. It's such a nothing, <laughs> yeah. you know. From like everybody. Di- DiCaprio probably doesn't even remember he was in this movie, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like, who's Russell Crowe? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucking like, DiCaprio. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I, oh, I want right. an Oscar in the last three or four years, not the last 20. So. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> Fuck like, yourself. <laughs> Ridley Scott. Oh, yeah, I did work with him. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, yeah, uh, what's yeah. his face? Um, uh, Crow is definitely a Ridley Scott theme. Yeah. Including on shit that like, nobody even knows he made, you know? Like, uh, God, what was that movie called? Oh, he no, 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 no. <laughs> even worse. What was that movie called where he's like in the, in the Italian countryside or whatever? A Good Year. Oh, right. Like, who even has seen this movie? Like, yeah. Him and, like, Diane Lane? <laughs> uh, Marion Cotillard, Abby Cornish. Yeah, not, not Diane Lane. <laughs> <laughs> Are you thinking about Under the Tuscan Sun? That's it, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That was, like, just, a Nancy Just Myers another random romance set in Italy. <laughs> yeah, that was a different one. But, yeah, this is a definitely <laughs> comedy drama, like, directed by like, Ridley Scott. Which is a weird choice right. for everybody involved. Yeah. <laughs> it's like people hear, like, Ridley Scott and, like, you know, well, you know, back when he did Thelma and Louise, like, he did Thelma and Louise? <laughs> Holy it's, shit, he did. He did? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah, and uh, that movie White Squall with mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Bridges mm-hmm. and Scott Wolf And Ryan Phillippe. Didn't he yeah. do some, like, gang movie in, like, Tokyo or something? Oh, Black Rain. Black Rain. Black Rain. Is that good? I don't see I think, I think I remember it was, like, decent. Andy Garcia gets beheaded. In. Yeah. I remember, like, I think they showed it on, like, TBS or a lot when I was a kid or something. I, 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 seen I want to watch American Gangster again. I liked it when I saw it. I yeah, it's been a while, but yeah, I remember thinking it was like surprisingly good. And yeah, yeah, really violent. That was with Denzel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He shoots it. I didn't know that. That was Ridley Scott. Yeah, yeah. Damn, Damn. you don't know anything, Ridley Scott. He's just like everywhere. We're on a movie podcast. Yeah. Who's Ridley Scott? Yeah. Did that runner oh, yeah. blade? blade. The oh man, Blade, he the did Blade Le- Run. The Blade Run. <laughs> well, yeah. his biggest movie, Legend. Hello, <laughs> Legend. That actually yeah. sounds obscure. Like that seems more obscure than what most people would know. He'd be like Black Hawk Down, man. Really, Sky's best director ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Black Hawk. Down. It's like, dude, like GI Jane was my jam. I like GI Jane actually. Right. I need to see all of it. Like, it's I've not seen, bad. Vigo Mortensen rules in GI Jane. <laughs> I need to go get my mind blown by his IMDb page. He's, he right, goes, he, uh, there's <laughs> this is a, ridiculous. The I didn't part did that either. in G.I. Jane when uh, they're having like the, the exercise where they're supposed to be POWs. And so uh-huh. all like the, tr- the instructors, including Viggo Mortensen, the drill sergeant. And, uh, you seen this movie? Yeah. Okay, and he takes them to the uh, POW camp. And he's, he's going to... He's like on the verge of raping Demi Moore mm-hmm. to just like show that this can happen to you because you're a woman in this situation. And, uh, and she... Uh, she like headbutts him in the with her back of her head, and he was like this, this like this huge like sling of blood that comes out of his nose. It's amazing! It's so good. That yeah. movie's good. That's a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. And Demi Moore is uh, again talking last week about the, the shaved head situation. Yes. She's yes. Not bad looking at that one. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Anyway, uh, that's gonna do our show, I guess. So uh, stay tuned to the website and uh, thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
welcome to the Heavy Breathing Podcast. 